0: Looking to generate more revenue and build relationships with gamers worldwide? Let Exola be your guide. Exola, a global video game commerce company, has helped thousands of game developers and publishers of all sizes fund, market, launch, and monetize their games globally and across multiple platforms. To learn more, please visit xsola.pro slash AOIAAS. Secure your digital world in physical form with IM8Bit. For over 15 years, IM8Bit has been crafting premium expansions of the industry's best games, from pioneering community experiences for Epic's Fortnite World Cup, to bringing over 100 award winning soundtracks from breakout hits like Untitled Goose Game and Disco Elysium to vinyl, and bringing the Ori sequel to Switch. Their passion for artistry and gaming fuels them, whether they're interpreting beloved brands from a new point of view or extending the mythology of another game. Perhaps one you're developing. What's the IM 8 bit difference? Their collectibles are premium, but for IM 8 bit, they're personal too. See for yourself at IM8bit.com.
1: Welcome to the Game Maker's Notebook, a podcast featuring a series of in depth one on one conversations between game makers providing a thoughtful, intimate perspective on the business and craft of interactive entertainment. The Game Maker's Notebook is presented by the Academy of Interactive Arts and Sciences, a member-driven organization dedicated to the recognition and advancement of interactive entertainment.
2: Hey, Terry, how are you? Hey, Trent. I'm doing good. How are you? Very well. Very well. Thank you. Thanks for joining me on the podcast today. It's really great to have you. Of course. My pleasure. Now, Terry, uh, you may have listened to the podcast before, but we start this the same way every time. It seems to be a mm-hmm. great conversation starter or icebreaker, they would say. Um, and I think it's particularly pertinent for a man like you who makes the kind of games that you make as well with such, mm. you know, I want to say retro aesthetics, but you and I might be getting old enough for them to be vintage aesthetics.
0: Right. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but what is what is your earliest memory Playing video games, and even if it's not your earliest memory, what was the one that like really affected you? You know, when a, something, when a switch flicked in your brain.
1: Mm, right, right. Well, there's so there are two steps to that that question. The the first one, like the very first memory, is is uh is actually as basic as it gets. It was Super Mario Brothers one. So yeah, nice. when I was three, yeah. So when I was three, my my brother, when he turned five uh he's two years older than me and he Mm -hmm. got an nes for his birthday and it came with the you know like the duck hunt yeah 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 and so yeah no i just remember playing super mario brothers one and just the idea that like i could Make things move myself, and all the sounds were happening, and all the feedback, and, and just trying to learn, trying to get better. Yeah. Him telling me, "Yeah, there's a secret and that pitfall, so that I die." He gets the controller again, all that. No, so yeah, I was I was three, and I kind of yeah, I never looked back. Uh, yeah. I have to say though that that I want to add a second part to that, that answer yeah. is. Um, so it was Chrono Trigger uh, when I I was uh, I didn't speak any English back then. We didn't get games in French in, in Quebec. We didn't get the French localization because we're not enough enough French speakers in North America together. about
2: that? Yeah, what an interesting complication I, just, mm. I never thought. Wow. Yeah.
1: yeah. So I basically played through that game, like kind of making up the story myself, you know. But so <laughs> and and we we didn't know what RPGs were. We just called them uh, games where you hit and there's a number
2: that appears, you <laughs> know, <And laughs> which, <is, laughs> which is not wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: And we got so we got Chrono Trigger because of the two characters on the key art, right? We thought right. it was a co-op yes. game. And and we come home and my friends like, ah, oh, the game keeps talking all the time, and and so and then oh, it's just a game that talks, we're not going to understand anything, it's single player, I'm going home. And so I just kept playing, because you remember yeah, when yeah. you rent a game as a kid, it's all you got for the weekend, so you stick to it, right? Yeah. And so, but that was the moment where, so I entered uh, Guardia Forest, right? Mm-hmm. And the music just hit me. And yeah. I remember just the ambience of that forest with the music. It was, the, so I was 10 and it was the first time where I had the sense that there was a warm guiding hand behind The thing that I was consuming as the player. Right. And it just hit me fully like someone made this. I for some reason that was the moment where games stopped like falling from the sky (laughs) into my life. I understood there was someone and I kind of came online in that moment as like I want to be I also want to be a creator, you know, of of games. And so yeah, that game is is kind of like the real big step for me.
2: It's so interesting that you mentioned that because I, I think definitely I'm sure almost every game developer out there has that moment where you, I used to have a friend who was a, was a film buff and he used to talk about watching movies with your eyes open, you know, like the difference between like, just, you know, sitting there and consuming movies and then actually like watching cinema or, you know, Mm. watching them as something different. And I feel Mm. it's the same thing for us. Like, I mean, for me, it was Zelda Ocarina of time, you know, like that that was the game that, as you say, it's almost like I stopped being into video games and started being into like the medium itself, you know, mm-hmm. like there right. is you, the the experience was just so all consuming and so interesting and like, like for the same reasons that you're saying about Chrono as well. As, um, mm. But yeah, like a, a switch flicked for me as well. There. How old mm. were you around that time, Terry, when you were playing Chrono?
1: Yeah, I was I was ten. Uh, mm-hmm. So it, it's it's like I don't know how long it had been since the game had come out or anything. It was yeah. just like you know you, you look at all the covers and you're like let's pick this one. I <laughs> didn't really have a sense of where they came from or anything. And yeah, and the thing is, after that moment of just basking in the music, I yeah. entered my first combat and I called back my friend like, oh, it's a game where you hit and there's a number. <laughs> and then he came back, and then we played nothing but that for like two years. You know, That's we just we, awesome. Yeah, we played all of it, like, back and forth and, like, all the endings and discovering everything in the game. And it's like, yeah, When I mean, yeah, we never looked I mean, back, basically. I love
2: what you mentioned about, you know, you're a kid and it's all you, like, it's the game you've got for the weekend. So, you, you have to oh, play that. Yeah. Like now, kids, obviously, they have the App Store or Game Pass mm. or whatever. They can just flick between whatever they want whilst being on TikTok, right. I'm sure. But I remember that I had Shadowgate on the NES. You know, we used oh, wow. to go to the local porn store slash, like, secondhand store. And I would just grab whatever game was there. And there was Ooh. Shadowgate was there. one, And I was just like, looked at the box, looked amazing. And then, you know, you get in and you're moving through the rooms. But as I was only like nine or eight or something, so I could only <laughs> progress like five rooms. But I just played those five rooms mm. over and over for, like you say, like probably weeks because it was the only yeah. game I had at that point in time. It was just mm. like, you just let it wash over oh, you. So I'm interested as well with Chrono Trigger to think it just because, you know, we're obviously going to talk a bunch about Sea of Stars, um, Mm -hmm. no doubt. What, like, you're saying that you're playing a game, as you put it, you know, the game where you hit and the numbers come out. You don't understand the story, but obviously it's a huge element of it and the ambience that you're talking about. What Mm -hmm. was it that caught you in those moments? Was it the ambience that kept you playing or was it what got you hooked? Was it the... Was the, even without, you know, the understanding the English, were the mechanics of the fighting mm-hmm. what you and your mate were getting into? Right. Well, so.
1: A lot of it was the music, was mm-hmm. how cool the characters looked. And, yeah. and they they reminded us, because you could see the, their portraits, their close-up yeah. portraits in the menus, and they reminded us of, of Dragon Ball, which we didn't even know it was the actual guy who had designed them. Oh. We were just like, oh, it looks kind of similar. That's kind of cool, yeah. you know. And awesome. We felt like it was something we made up ourselves, you know. But, <laughs> when, but it was Ball, the man. actual fact of it, yeah. <laughs> because we wanted, like, a, a, a Dragon Ball turn-based game, and which, which we sort of never got here at least but um and yeah and so no I, I so playing it a lot of it was just the gameplay mechanic and exploring yeah. the areas and listening yeah. to the music and all of that and then we still had like some english classes you know yeah, So of speakers, course kind in of but yeah,
0: and,
2: but,
1: and definitely like self-teaching english true games was played a big part actually yeah. like this game and Mario RPG as well were were, were were two big ones where you just sit with your french english dictionary trying mm-hmm. to make out like trying yes, to understand everything that happens and you don't really get it and so you replay them 37 times you know in a year <laughs> and you keep like oh i think that's what they meant i think that's a yeah. going back to that thing and we started building our own version of the of the story but also i think chrono trigger where it shines and where it really aged well is it's everything is very simple and self-contained, and the pacing of it, it kind of always keeps on going. It's
2: very um, them, I mean, Yeah,
1: so. it's not about this, like, uh, uh, I mean, I love my Final Fantasy VI, but, you know, Chrome Trigger is not about, like, this, like, empire and, like, a big conflict and, like, different yeah, yeah. continents and, like, ancient history of a thing. It's like, you're always there touching and feeling
0: It's more the personal. ingredients
1: yeah of course of course yeah. and it's it's more about your it, it's a personal story within a grander conflict but you yeah. get that sense of intimacy between the characters yeah. a bit more um and so i feel like that's something like having had sort of the experience of playing it kind of blindfolded when it comes to the writing yeah. uh i I'm, I'm here to say that that in a lot of ways these narrative design choices they carry over through the other pillars of the game. They don't only rely on overtly saying things. You you get—you kind of get to feel them. Like the bridge is broken. You go to get the lunch. You don't get the full dialogue, but you understand that you're, there's a yes. brother helping out. Someone is hungry. So yeah. you still build some sense of what's happening. It's not just that. There's a lot of show don't tell basically
2: going on. Yeah, in game. It's, a, it's actually a really great testament to the game being like a sum of its parts and like all of the elements mm-hmm. of the game. Communicating its narrative, right? Like if you're sitting there, ten years old, can't understand English or just a small amount of English, and you're able to still understand the narrative to some mm-hmm. degree. It reminds me when I was in um, Japan recently for Bit Summit. My last day was oh. in Tokyo, and the new Miyazaki film was out because it's been out for months. You know, in um, the Studio Shipley film in mm. in Japan. And I was looking for like subtitled sessions and I was almost not going to go because there were no subtitled sessions. And then I thought, uh, well, like I'm in Japan, like I may, it's it's going to be his last film, quote unquote. Yeah. <laughs> Why don't I just go and like, just let it wash over me. So I went mm-hmm. um, and also Greg Rice, PlayStation oh. had just done that as well. And so I was like, you, did you find subtitles? He's like, no, I just let it wash over me. I was like, don't. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to go do the same thing. So nice. I went, and I sat in a packed sima- cinema in between these two Japanese kids and watched mm. this studio Ghibli film completely in Japanese. And like, I know maybe. 10 words of Japanese Mm. and I was like, obviously it was a completely surreal experience and I was about 40 minutes into the film. I thought I was following it. And then something happened. I was like, okay, I don't think I have any idea what the story is (laughs) right now, but I actually watched the trailer just two weeks ago and I was like, oh yeah, I had no idea what was going on. Like completely different story, but it was still obviously an amazing experience. Now the question for you, going back to Chrono years Mm. later when, you know, whether you, there was a French version or whether you played in English and mm-hmm. you were able to pick it up, was it, was it what you expected it to be? Have you gone back and played it again?
1: Mm, uh, oh yeah, I mean, I've I, so I've I've beaten this game uh, at least once a year since I mean since <laughs> since back in the day, yeah, and I still I still do it uh, to this day. But uh, so no no so yeah no this game is is super. Like, it's kind of like my my happy place. You know, I like to go yeah, back there. Love and it. I'll, I want to find new places, new things to try, and and all. And I still have a theory that every single character has. A special name and if you give them each of them their special name something will happen I'm still missing two, so I don't know maybe one day but probably not yes. um, but yeah uh, and so I, I mean it's not I, it's not that I, I I got to play it again and now I understood everything it's I, I sort of my understanding of English grew as yeah. this game was a constant in my life, so I didn't have like yeah. a moment. Right. There I didn't wasn't have a, like a before big or after. moment.
2: You just grew with it and it sort of, yeah, it, right, it right. sort of grew with you. I love it. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm glad we spent that much time on Chrono because obviously it's had a big <laughs> impact. it's probably the most pertinent answer to this question that we've had hmm. for a while. Um Claudia, our producer as well, is saying that he's happy we're speaking about Chrono Trigger 2. It's one of his favorite games. Um, so look what next i mean you're you're five years old you get the nes you play some mario brothers you're Mm. playing chrono trigger it's grabbed you you've had that moment where you switch from being someone who plays video games to someone who's almost like seen the medium you know and is now experiencing it as a medium did you know you wanted to make games terry like where what was give me the sort of the next steps to
1: yeah so i knew i did but i didn't know it was an option uh there is uh, there's kind of this sense of of like uh um Quebec in Quebec City it's like it's 100% French Mm -hmm. and it's kind of understood like it's not a lot is going to happen in French you know or you you need to kind of and it sounded like oh man I have to move to somewhere where it's English speaking it seemed very daunting so for a very long time it, it was kind of like an abstract uh, idea like uh, I would be nice but unfortunately it's it's kind of not for me because of circumstances yeah. and it's kind of what I was telling myself and so the the click moment that it could be a career was actually uh, when uh, Prince of Persia Sands of Time happened because yeah. Yeah. it was developed in, in Montreal and it, it was kind of like or at least to me or to what I was aware of back in the day. Um, it was kind of like okay this was made here and it's internationally relevant quote yeah. unquote. and and i was like okay no this is i'm starting to understand now that there is like locally or around me there can be an industry It can exist there was still yeah. no way to really like study that in any in any fashion and so yeah that's when that's where it's, it kind of started growing but since Childhood, I, I had been building this kind of imaginary world in my mind, uh, and all these characters, yeah. and all these stories, and, and rules for magic and whatnot. Uh, and so that's kind of basically that's what we're, we're building now. Is all of our games are, are they're not like direct sequels, but they, they're all tied together and kind of a shared a shared universe. And we're telling Love these it. kind of big arcs that are really far apart on the timeline, yeah. but still yeah. there's kind of like this this underlying consistency to to, to it narratively. So. Yeah, it all kind of converged into like, oh, it's it's now kind of more of a thing to, to be able to work in games. And the studios made it to Quebec City, which is way smaller than Montreal. Um, and so, yeah, I was actually able to work from here, start my career actually directly from home.
2: That's amazing. That's amazing. So you founded Sabotage in 2016. Tell yep. us about tell us about that. Tell us about your motivation for founding your own studio and and it all coming about.
1: <laughs> sure, I, I mean it was, <laughs> well, it, it wasn't necessary evil more than anything, I would say.
2: <laughs> uh, so I,
1: I uh, so I graduated from a gameplay a, a gameplay game programming oriented. A short course in yep. 2007, yep. Uh, and it's just a one-year thing is all I could do. I couldn't do like IT at university or whatever. Yeah, I'm like, right, oh okay. Man, there's no way I'll, I can do computer science. I can sit and listen. It needs to be about games, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: I'm very practical. And so,
1: oh yeah. Otherwise, yeah. I can't. Like, I can't be bothered, you know. Mm-hmm. And and so, I started doing that, and then so for eight years I was a gameplay coder and and looking at at you know the game designers that I was looking up to when I was a kid. Uh, I was like, okay, it seems to me like you you Go in through one of the crafts. You know, yeah. there was no like game design school, right, back then. So yeah, yeah, you go yeah. in through one of the crafts, and at some point you kind of emerge, like, okay, I feel like I can call some shots now on the yeah. floor. And so that was kind of how I saw it. Was like, okay, coding is the thing my my brain can probably do because I'm not an artist whatsoever, you know. And <laughs> um, and so eventually, after after yeah, uh, eight years of doing that, I felt like, okay, I I have these ideas, I'm going to present them, and I had been asking to be put on a design track. I want to become Maybe more of a technical game designer, more about gameplay. Eventually I want to do, I want to direct some projects, but I'm not ready. I want and anyway, they, they kept basically the story was you're valuable where you are, right? Uh yeah. just go back to coding, lead yeah, your team, yeah, doing right. great. And and I understand, right? It's not another business's business to kind of take a risk necessarily on me, but yeah. Uh and I ended up pitching really directly uh the messenger, which was our first game, the ninja side scroller eight-bit, yeah. sixteen-bit thing, which I had made a prototype for. 10 uh, or almost 10 years prior, that's oh, wow. cool. In, in Flash, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and oh man, and I drew all the art myself. It's really <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Uh, the atoms were there. Yeah. Um, and I got a very clear response for which I'm really thankful, which was basically like, this is absolutely terrible. It's the proof that you'll never be a designer. Uh, get back to work. And that was like the kick I needed, you know, because I kind of understood yeah. like uh, the, the very powerful uh soundbite that i heard was you know when something says you when someone says you can't do something it means you can't do it with them right yes uh, yeah. which can sound basic but it's like no that's true no, right that's they're, so say, they're
2: saying this idea is terrible but it's like yeah. it's
1: terrible for them if they don't believe it it will be terrible the end result i've actually i've never I've you
2: know, honestly terry i've never heard that mm. that before mm. and it's and it's so so profound and so wise it's so often you know mm. we're told no or something's mm. not possible but you know i i don't think it is that obvious that like Actually, mm-hmm. what that means in most cases is that, mm-hmm. well, no, you just can't do that with me, or you can't do that right. with Arthur. Or I don't believe in this thing, whether that's you or whether that's the idea or whether it's the mm-hmm. concept. And so it's not necessarily that you're wrong, it's that you actually may be in the wrong company or the wrong exactly. company. I don't I <laughs> I didn't mean it literally, but I guess it could be a company, you know, or in yeah. <laughs> or around the wrong people to actually see that yeah. idea through. So and I love as well, there is a particular type of person too that just mm-hmm. takes. Any kind of fuck you as energy and fuel for like, yeah. motivation to do their own. It seems like you're very clearly that person. Well. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. yeah. For sure.
1: Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and because, and and again, it's like it's also, uh, but it was not in a way like, oh, I'm gonna show them. Yeah. Because yeah. in yeah. the context of like how they operate. They're right sense. that it was yeah, a yeah, bad fit. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's it's not what they do. They're not gonna come up with like a very small team. It was a we, we were like 400 people
0: yeah.
1: doing servicing work for like. There's a movie coming out. They want the iPad game to go along with it. You yeah, know, okay, like that. Yeah. It just it doesn't fit that model on yeah, any no, level. That that's sense. not how they present. You know, or anything. Um, and so yeah, basically the next step was like, well, if it's going to happen, I have to do it on my own. But the the way I was able to do it, the thing that really worked out for me was because I had been there for eight years, well, then you meet people who you're cut from the same cloth, right? You have the same grievances maybe in the way they're working. And you're you're like, oh man, we're seeing this way with like less management and making a game we would actually care to play and kind of follow that like signal that we have, that frequency that we have within ourselves uh, to just kind of try to pursue that and more of an artistic approach than just like ticking boxes until the client pays and all And So anyway, I was able to kind of have like, I had this like, hey guys, if I just build it will you will you like be there and i was like oh i guess so we have level design we have and so basically all the pillars were there for a very small team oh,
2: right. um, and how many and people so, was this terry what were you talking four or five or something or
1: at first it was so uh, so phil our level designer uh and, and i we worked for about a year before sabotage so i would do like hmm code and a bit of writing yeah. and then he would do level design and and some illustrations so that we have placeholder yeah. uh and then uh and miko who's our environment artist also started putting in some time yeah and then eric who's our composer uh made the one track for the prototype so it was like four of us basically for a year before sabotage before the, the company mm-hmm. existed sorry uh and then just you know evenings and weekends and all and and then it kind of made sense it it came together and then yeah in 2016 it was like okay we need a company now because we want to look at actually doing this properly uh full-time so yeah and from there when the company started it was just uh so it was me it was my buddy martin who co-founded with me uh, he was more for the, on the side of like, let's try to get this finance. He's more of a networking yeah, kind okay. yeah, of guy. Um, yeah. yeah, more of a producer, right? And, yeah. and, uh, and then Sylvain, who's our gameplay coder, so I could stop coding. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, he's he's like a guy who has been, so it's been 15 years now that he's always been, whatever project I'm on, he's always there as like the main so gameplay coder. It's just my go-to guy. And so, yeah, he's, he's super good at at all that. So I actually stopped coding uh, mm-hmm. by then. And mm-hmm. uh, and yeah, so the the first few months was basically we were doing a bit of of a uh, work for hire with. Mm-hmm.
2: uh, we're oh, friends right, with you started the, off with work for hire. Interesting, Oddworld.
1: yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. so we were we we got friends with uh, you know Lauren Lanning, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. creative yeah. director yeah, from well, so, yeah. yeah, and so I'm, I was very fortunate to actually uh, be able to call him a mentor, you know, in, in creative direction and everything. I, I worked yeah. under him and I learned a lot by osmosis and uh right so he he flew me to his studio and i just i went there and i was like man i'm gonna work super long days but i just (laughs) want to be able to pick your brain every night you know and he always took me out to dinner and he would just tell me stories and i just yeah he really helped he kind of validated and and helped my sort of my transition you know from yeah, coder yeah. to like you'll now be directing your own game and everything so now I'm super Fantastic. thankful for It is such a exactly. different
2: thing as well like and I think a lot of us find it find it out the hard way which is actually like mm. learning in the trenches but you know a yeah. league of geeks as well like we've got a few you know a couple of tiers mm. of of leadership and You know, whether it be game leadership or just team and company leadership, like it's just so different to being in the trenches, Mm -hmm. like it's a different job. And so to have someone at so early on, you know, who's been directing games for so long must have been, must have been great to give. Do you remember some of the, you know, um, I mean, the podcast is about you and your games, but do you remember some (laughs) of the lessons that, you know, you, you learned early on, you know, working alongside Lauren that you, that you've taken forward with you, particularly around like direct game direction.
1: Right, right. It's it's very it's very hard to it's very hard to to pick summarize. The, I yeah, would like say pick yeah. out
2: single like little mm-hmm. sound bites or something, right? Because it's
1: it, it it wouldn't be there wouldn't be like theoretical sessions. It wouldn't be like like okay, yeah, here's course. the thing you want to consider when you're talking to an animator. <laughs> it was more that you know what I mean. Yeah. It was more like if you just kind of hang out, right? And yeah, then yeah. You, you know, learn by just, like just, you
2: said, osmosis.
1: Yeah, and you're kind yeah. of like spitballing, and, and then you have some questions, and, but hes it's not that he has like the theoretical framework <laughs> of what you should do. It's just that he's like, oh, yeah, I've seen this like 45,000 times. Like, here's what happened to Will Wright, you know, when it was yeah, the equivalent. And yeah, then yeah. you're like, wait, am I getting like a Will Wright story now? <laughs> <laughs> it's out of the blue, you know, and it's like, yeah, yeah so I – all these moments they kind of all just compounded and and I was able to sort of map my own way of approaching it yes and, and it's so not really right. I get it. thinking yeah. from those from those takeaways and and but but I at the end of the day I think the thing that 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 paid off the most was just Watching him interact, right? Yes. Yeah. The way he involves people in, in, and you know, so if he's because obviously also he's a superstar, so that, that there's that extra layer of, of yeah. but he'll be talking with someone, and he can tell the other person is a, is kind of a bit intimidated or whatever yeah. in the meeting. Not not so much wanting to contribute their idea, and and he always takes the time, like, hey, by the way, this is a co-creative conversation. I wanna I wanna hear yeah. what you think. I wanna hear yeah, how you right. feel.
0: Raising up always in the room, yeah.
1: always leveling with people, right? Always yeah. kind of keeping it at a very humane level, keeping it, always like super fair that everyone feels involved but in a very very genuine way he's patient he's he's and sometimes he's just looking at something on his screen watching a video on a loop and he's just laughing and it's like i don't know what's happening there (laughs) and then like an hour later he comes to you and he's like man we need better explosions come look at this like you see how the smoke and and it's like okay he just his brain just kind of got stuck on a fine detail that he wants to kind of extract and and re-express and and I would say that that was kind of validating, right? Because yeah. I would feel like if I'm just in love with a gift for no reason, I feel like I'm wasting my time. But it's like, no, actually, you're the inspiration in growth. Different paces, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. And so it was just a whole lot of of kind of like no just embrace like just don't put too much of a frame yeah. around it but just follow the thing that that you kind of already know yeah and yeah. just allow it allow it to to emerge you know maybe not yeah. as far as the the sculpture is already on the rock and you're just removing the but, yeah, uh, but yeah. almost you know I, I could tell that it's not that he, he always had a plan but but he always planned here's what we're going to start exploring together
2: Yeah, and then he planned for heavy and, accidents, right?
1: Yeah and trusting yeah. the process and working in iteration mm-hmm. and we will end up in a place that we all like to gather around something and be like this is really great. Yeah. Because what happened is that people who were genuinely driven to pursue it kept going until yeah. they heard they heard the sound that they were looking for, you know. So yeah. just embracing this this letting it take time and and not being ready until it's ready kind of this this that look for quality for polish for yeah. for something unique. And uh, no it was yeah.
2: Well, let's talk. Let's talk about that in relation to the messenger, because just mm-hmm. so you're doing actual. Actually, let's let's take a step back. So you're saying you're doing um, client work. What was the break? Because we have people on the on. You know, usually when you walk onto this podcast, right, it's for a couple of reasons. It's because you've had a generally all three, right? Critically, culturally, commercially successful game, which mm. you've just had. <laughs> you know, or it could be one. You know, usually one or two of the others, right? But uh, mm. when people come on here it's actually amazing how many of them haven't just gone through the studio system or something mm. like that but especially the indies have done work for hire stuff before mm-hmm. yeah. and i remember there's um you know one of them was talking about escape velocity as a thing you know because work of, work for hire can also be a kind of quicksand so talk to me yeah. about w- how you manage that you know with your with your business partner or your producer um mm-hmm. a friend who was doing that is it martin that was doing the production yeah, yeah. stuff yeah right with you and okay. martin how did you ensure that the work for hire actually led to the messenger, as opposed to getting bogged down in that?
1: Oh, okay, right, right. Well, so well, so here's here's the thing: is the the work for hire a bit? Uh, and again, that's where uh, you know anyone has a different path, and I just leveraged what I happen to have. Yeah, so, of course. Yeah. Uh, my thing was, I was actually I became a consultant mm-hmm. because I was by then sort of a senior. Gameplay programmer and I had yeah, wow. been leading teams for years, yeah. and so what I did is I would go on projects that had kind of problems or whatever, and I'd be like, okay, let me look at this. Let me let's see. Let's let me talk to the team. Let's implement some a better pipeline or whatever, and let's talk about the results. And I'll be following up or whatever. And so. By doing consultancy work like that, it's obviously it's a higher wage per hour than, than yeah, if you're course. just kind of working on a long production. So that's kind of how I was able to bootstrap is that for a few months, I was doing that just to right. get yeah. in as much money as I could.
2: <laughs> so that just I could
0: then. So you could pay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and then year. it's
1: like we start a company and, and we don't have to pay anyone for like six months or whatever, because there we have the stack, you know, that we can yeah. use.
0: That's great. Uh,
1: and so that kind of solved. That was the way that I was able to kind of bootstrap or hack my way into running my own thing. Yeah. Uh, in terms of what Martin was working on, was more uh, we have the CMF, which is the the Canada Media yeah. Fund. Yeah, it's uh, I know people know that in the industry that there's kind of bags of money flying around a little bit in in Canada. And so we're very fortunate for that is we have culture funds where you can basically go like, Hey, like this is us. We, this is our idea. This is Mm -hmm. the market that we see for it. This is the prototype we have so far. Uh, Can we have this amount? And then they have an envelope every year and they kind of rank your project. And then they either it's, it's either they give it to you or they don't. And so we were able to, that's what he worked on. And so we got, Funding that allowed us to transition full time. In terms of work for hire, oh, wow. what we did is that when I was a consultant, the last uh, sort of client that I had was actually Lauren. I, I I got on the Oddworld project. Oh right, okay. right. Yeah, yeah, Oddworld yeah. Thing. Consulting, yeah. And so when I transitioned over to uh, founding, Sabotage it was like, "Hey, do you guys want to keep want to keep going for a little bit, like as you figure it out?" And so from the get-go, it was understood, right, that yeah. that the end goal was to eventually do messenger and the only they're the only client client quote unquote right we ever had it wasn't like a, a typical i yeah, would say got to, yeah it, it's not like we're pitching the studio trying to <laughs> sign something for a few months it was just yeah, like you know, we yeah. have. Yeah. A very friendly and a very thorough yeah. understanding of one another relationship with them. So yeah. that's that's all we did. To be to not hitting be
2: the local mall with sabotage services, business cards or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, no, not, not at all. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So, okay. So now let's look, let's look at the messenger because, I mean, you all just exploded onto the scene with that game. It was really crazy. Mm. So... Tell me, just so we can sort of get a little our heads around, and you know, our listeners can get our heads around this project. Just give me a couple of quick facts, like how long did you spend in development, and sort of what was the team size around mm-hmm. the future?
1: Sure. Uh, so, team size. Uh, if we're talking about not the studio, but the people actually like touching yeah, yeah, the game, sure, yeah. uh, so it was six people. Yep. Uh, six people worked on the on the production. So uh, Sylvain was the only coder. I I I still did a little. I coded a few bosses, but and uh, but I he really did like 95% of it.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, then we had a level designer. I was doing game design and writing. Uh, we had two animators, one level artist, and a musician. So maybe that's yeah. seven actually. Yeah. 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 Amazing. So that's the that's the that's the entire team. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we started. So we had some groundwork done during the first year, but yeah, it you was were a, a flash prototype, prototype right? Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but even
1: but even from the the year like before founding Sabotage, which it yeah. was in Unity, the prototype that we were doing, mm-hmm. uh, that thing was we didn't really keep anything. Like I coded it, and Sylvain wanted to kind of you know do it properly and cleanly, so it, it was extensible and all. Weird. So that's we kind of
2: very were you insulted? <laughs> oh, not at all. No, no, no. no, no. <laughs> uh,
1: we've been the, we've been the best of friends for, for no, over a, a decade at that point so it's like you know <laughs> yeah sure I know I, I know where where my strengths are and they are not not encoding I'm, I'm kind of done with that anyway so uh, but yeah and so we so we kind of redid all of that and uh, just getting the tool set together and and um, and what really sucked is is our our, or a challenge we had was our level designer, Phil. He's Mm. like he the the guy has like triple experience. He was on on the original Assassin's Creed, he worked on on Prince of Persia Warrior within when I first met this guy I was like starstruck, right? Uh, and so but then we we became fast friends and 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 uh, he he uh so he's the guy I worked with on the prototype for a year before sabotage. But when it became real, yeah. he was like, "Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's really, it was fun, but I can't, like, I can't afford to, like, you know, I have it's a son, game I am, I, I have a, I am in the director position at this stable yeah. place. I'm like, oh man, I get it, but like, uh, and uh, we kind of, we kind of pulled a little trick where we developed all the tools for level design, which mostly went through a plugin. Actually, it was, it was, it wasn't I don't wanna paint it as that big of a deal but once we had all the tools set together for the production we asked him to take a day off to come and try the tools to give us feedback and 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 he actually went like oh man this is amazing i just i want to do a production using that so i mean it was like
2: yes <laughs> we, so get, ladies like, and gentlemen, we got him yeah 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 so
1: <laughs> it, it it worked and uh and yeah i mean and and we still we still work together to this day and then everyone's super happy about Let's that pay- yeah. And, and so, yeah, so we, we, we locked him in at last. Um, <laughs> right. And yeah, so from then we got, so we were doing, uh, we were working with Oddworld uh, four days a week. And then yeah. on Friday was Messenger. I and love then it. We,
2: that's great. Messenger.
1: Day. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. We were all always like super excited and uh, and then the so yeah then we got I the as
2: well. It's I love that it's Friday cuz it's a, like a little treat at the end of the week as well. You know? Oh yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And and we we I, we had to earn it, you know,
1: also every week. It's <laughs> like we need to actually we need to finish, you know, our homework. <laughs> our <laughs> homework for higher, you know. No yeah, no dessert, no dessert yeah. you've
2: done your homework. Yeah. <laughs> exactly.
1: Yeah. Uh, and so yeah, and then we got the CMF funding uh, early 2017. That's awesome. So early 2017 and basically in the, I remember I was actually at GDC. So it was probably like in March or February or something. Yeah. And it was like, okay, well now we're all in. So we're actually hiring. Everyone who was just waiting for us to, to kind of have the funds. Mm-hmm. And then the team got together. Uh, and then, yeah, we were in production from uh, around March 2017, like actually full time. Yeah. Uh, all the way to around July 2018. Okay. I would say about, about like maybe what a year and a half or something. That's actually,
2: I mean, I know that you've been working on it ahead of time and everything like that, but Mm. that's, that's incredibly fast as well. Mm. Like, um, so actually let's, let's pause here for a second because, You know, we obviously people listen to this podcast, not just because they're fans of the games, but because they're fans of game developers and conversations between Mm. game developers. So I think the first thing to note is that, like, as I sort of hinted at, you know, made a little passing gag at both of our expense at the start of the podcast. um, Terry here works on, you know, games that are very much retro inspired you know um, mm. and the, the pixel art aesthetic absolutely you know sea of stars is a stunning game as well mm. um, and so maybe why don't you tell folks about the messenger and what messenger is give us I know it's probably been 10 years maybe or what like six years since you've given the elevator pitch but give, give yeah. us an elevator pitch <laughs> for the messenger
1: Sure. Yeah, it's been about six years. Yeah. So, yeah. well, the elevator pitch is is uh, so it's a side-scrolling action platformer uh, where you play a ninja, and it takes place on a it's in a post-apocalyptic world where there's been a flood, and there's only the one island left, and then that island got cursed, uh, and so you're the messenger. You're given a scroll, and you basically have to carry that scroll across the island. Uh, so it's presented as a linear 8-bit action platformer, uh, but then eventually later in the game uh you go into the future which is supported by a shift to 16-bit graphics uh, and then you realize it was all a loop and then eventually the frame falls and you realize you had been playing the linear portion of a metroidvania all along and then you get a map and then you the second portion of the game is now a metroidvania and you need to finish kind of mapping
0: everything <laughs>
2: I love it. It's so good. It's like <laughs> it's like if in, Inception was like an eighties sixteen bit ninja game. And I, like, folks, I've got to say as well, like, I really, if you're sitting at your PC listening to this podcast or you're on your phone, bring up the Messenger, bring up <clears throat> Sea of Stars. These games could literally be from the nineties as well. Like, I, and I think this is one of the most amazing things about the work that you and your team do, Terry. Is it's not mm. it's It's not just a pixel art aesthetic inspired by the past. You go to such great lengths in your, in the, even in the type and the type setting to the UI, like to the actual Mm. game structure as well. Like something that really strikes me about Sea of Stars Mm. is like, find myself swearing at the screen when like my whole party goes down and like I'm, I'm however, like 20 minutes back on a save point or something. But like, that's the purity of the experience that, that you're, that you're, you know, actually emulating is a really great mm-hmm. word because it does feel like i'm kind of playing these games through an emulator in some sense from the 80s so talk right. to me about that is because obviously it's here in the messenger it's not something that just came about in sea of stars it's very mm-hmm. clear that that was a, an objective of you and your team mm-hmm. talk to talk to me about that and capturing that you know a- essence of these games like so yeah. in such a pure fashion Absolutely. I mean, so uh, the the thing for me
1: is we we, we wanted to make the sort of the vision, right, for Sabotage was we're going to have like retro aesthetics. So like audio and visuals, like the the, the things clicking will kind of compel your inner child. You know, if you grew up playing the same games we did, you're going to feel like, oh, I understand this language. But then we want to modernize. The game design aspect of it, so the way, the pacing of the story, the the, the controls, that because what we miss is being nine, right? It's, we don't miss the stiff controls, we don't miss the repetitive music, we don't miss the unfair yeah. difficulty spikes. You know, yeah. what we really miss is 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 something else. Is the magic? Is the is the glasses we had on top of what we were playing? And yeah. so, sort of what we're setting out to do is, we want something that the way it looks and feels. It opens up that part of your brain and invites it to be the one playing. Mm. And then we want to present a game that's modernized in a way that it will then be as good as your memory of those games. Yeah. Which our memories of those games are, are games that don't actually exist. And that's yeah. what we're trying. That's what we're trying to make something that plays, that plays like smoothly, right? And and the story yeah. keeps on going. The difficulty is fair. The controls feel good. Uh, but everything the way, the way it, it, it clicks and, and the way it sounds feels like you, you we're, we, we don't want to cut that thread with your childhood, right? And so yeah that's why we're also changing genres with every game because our journey is complete. It, we're presenting our definitive edition of yeah. a genre that always stayed with us and because I'm a gigantic fan so kind of, of Ninja Gaiden of course yeah. with, with <laughs> yeah. looking at which in case that wasn't obvious with messenger <laughs> and and but looking at Ninja Gaiden it's like oh man how do we make something that's as good as how I feel about this game yeah and that that isn't like fully there for like you know archaic technical reasons most of yeah. the time it's so uh, true as well like i you know the
2: nintendo i forget what it's called but like the mm. actual the um what do you call it the package that you can purchase it gives you the retro games like the subscription but i remember oh, yeah. when, when that came out on switch and they added ninja mm. guide to it i was like oh sick because i played that as a kid too and mm. i booted it up and i was like you're saying like my memory of the game looked like the messenger and felt like the messenger but it was very much not how the game played and when talk about right. difficulty spikes the difficulty mm. spike happens about four seconds into that game <laughs> oh, yeah. I was like, literally 10 year old me was a hundred times better at that game than 35 year old me at the oh time. for sure so oh, yeah, yeah. I, I think it's such a and also playing sea of stars because my partner sat down last night um when i had the game fired up and just like oh we're mm. playing this looks cool and, you know, I was just explaining to her, you know, I guess you're without even talking to you now, what I assumed was your mission, which is what you're saying. And mm-hmm. I mentioned the same thing. I was like, you know, it kind of feels like how I remember a Super Nintendo game playing. It's like a Super Nintendo mm-hmm. game that didn't exist then, but I've like, you know, you've dusted it off and, mm-hmm. and you're playing it now.
1: Right, right. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and also like, so. The the thing too is you look at something like like messenger obviously it would never run on a NES right yes uh, because it, it's doing a whole bunch of illegal things right in terms of uh, from a technical standpoint but we always made a point like and that's why the journey uh, like the 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 in designing the game that's why the journey was so was so fun for us yeah that's why we had so much fun on the production floor yeah. was how do we like prune like the things that didn't age well we're gonna do away with them or we're gonna rethink them you think of something like a character like Quarble, right it's like well that's a very interesting at least in my opinion it's it, it was it's an interesting solve it was a fun like journey to kind of arrive at something like how do we have a way to sort of build the world even more have some comic relief but also mainly have a mechanic for for you dying which lives and continues that then that doesn't make sense anymore yeah we can't have that today that was like a remnant of like putting coins in a machine that they hadn't figured out yet yes yeah yep. and so how do we have something where we there's still a penalty for dying okay so horrible is going to eat your money for a little while and then leave yeah. so you feel like you're playing something but you don't want to see lives and continues anymore we're yeah. not doing a thing with only nine levels that will still take you forever because they're too hard it's it's yeah. a full scope it's a full yeah. scope game. So bringing in those mechanic and that's an example for me of like modernizing, you know, it's like, we still need a penalty for dying, but we want to do it in a way that makes sense today without taking away from the retro that could have been, if you will. And then, things like well do we want to implement like blinking on the sprites when there's more than when there's more than like three on the same scan line it's like yeah we don't we probably don't need that you know yeah gotcha. but then we're still going to make a point not there's no moment in messenger where you see more than maybe six enemies on the screen right yeah yeah and which we could have done something where we can't afford to have twenty-seven now. Yeah. But it's like, no, we're still going to limit ourselves to so even though we're not gonna make them blink, we're still going to pay homage to there yeah. were some technical reasons why the number yeah. was limited. And that allowed for a certain type of rhythm in the gameplay. Yeah. That that speaks, I think, speaks to the essence, like that simplicity of like getting to the point with your idea, the same way that, you know, the music doesn't drag its intro for like two minutes with like yeah. a, a synthetic orchestra. It's like, no, get to the hook because yeah. you have a very short loop. You don't have yeah. to do a short loop nowadays, but yeah. we still made a point to do it so that we would sort of capture this kind of like, this the crispness, you know, and everything.
2: The interesting thing about you saying that, <clears throat> Terry, excuse me, is that, you were a kid when you were playing these games. So Mm. how did you even know, how did you go? Was there a process of learning that when there's three characters on the same scan line that the sprites blink or that, you know, the (laughs) the Mm. NES couldn't handle any more than six characters on screen? Like these types of technical, because I am super into these kinds of design decisions, right? Like, have you played Signalis at all? Uh, Not not
1: enough to comment on. Right,
2: okay. So Signalis is a very interesting game. Like, obviously, like, It's like a PlayStation 1 sort of Mm -hmm. PlayStation 2 um, sort of era graphics uh, survival horror game. Amazing, Mm -hmm. amazing game. Um, But one of the things that I love is when they pick and choose to sort of cheat the aesthetic, you know, like you punch in on something and the graphics are not what would be delivered on a PlayStation 2. But in that moment, the game, you know, needs it. And so this is the exact same kind of thing that you're doing right on your games of messenger mm-hmm. and sea of stars, but to mm-hmm. even understand what those technical restraints were at the time to actually have that authenticity, like you, you need to know them. Right. And like, as I yeah. said, you were a kid playing these games, you weren't programming mm-hmm. on the NES when it happened. So was there a period of discovery or how did you, how did you go about learning these things? Is it just kind of urban legend or that a game developer?
1: It's a, it's a lot of, of like well so one thing is, I was also an adult when I played these games. I mean, I, I still have an extensive retro collection. Oh, right. And yeah. I, of course, you're still play, playing. Them. Yeah. Yeah, right. yeah. I'm I'm video games through and through, and so and I st- I still play you know retro games as much as I play modern ones yeah, wow. or any things that come out. And I I there are some games that I still I don't know like f- games like Donkey Kong Country Two. It's like I'll never stop playing that. players, though no, I'll never not want to beat that game. Yeah. Once every two months, like for some reason, and. Uh, when you keep playing them, you become familiar on a different level, and you start yes. noticing yeah, all the details. Yeah. yeah. And there was also the whole like being a gameplay coder thing. You get interested in some blogs that talk about things like that. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, did you know that the random in the chest in Super Mario Brothers Three is actually determined before you open it? And so no matter which one you pick <laughs> or whatever, it doesn't change. And you're like, oh, really? And then here's a code review of all of that. And then you read through that, and there yeah, was kind of right. like this this uh, this interest was kind of always there and understanding how kind of how these games were 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 being made. Yeah. Uh even even did a tiny bit of assembly coding to try to get like uh, Zelda 2 Link's uh, sprite to kind of like side scroll on NES the way that's actually implemented, which is wow. super intricate. Just getting something to scroll takes forever and but it, it's interesting to kind of understand a bit more of the the matricity of those things because yeah. then you can kind of you feel like in some way you can kind of maybe convey uh, uh like some under the hood ways of how it behaved that is kind of consistent with something that no one knows, but they can instinctively understand or feel from one game to another, you know, yeah.
0: Yeah. but at
2: least we try to, but yeah. Do you remember some of the things that before, because obviously I imagine some of these come along during discussion, you know, you're, you come to a decision path in the game, you know, and you're like, oh, that's, mm. <clears throat> that's modernizing it too much. Or that's, you know, you know, that's too, like you were saying with the blinking and the scan lines, that's, we don't need that. That's yeah. too much. Do you remember some of the things that you started with that you knew you had to do? Obviously, like the the graphics rules around sixteen bit or whatever. But like, what were some of the more interesting ones that you can remember? Started like the constraints that you set on yourselves Mm. to retain that authenticity. Do you remember some that you had coming out of the gate?
1: Right. Well, we didn't really. We didn't really. So we knew for sure that in terms of level design, one rule would be that we mainly want a section to either scroll only on the X axis or the Y axis, and we would very rarely use like both of them.
0: Sometimes because we want to
1: reserve that for oh this area feels like super open it's kind of like freeing in contrast to that there were yeah. a few a few things like that uh, there were there were also because obviously as you know we start by establishing kind of like pillars and like more abstract yeah. feelings we want to speak to and everything yeah so yeah in terms of that uh, it was we wanted we wanted to design everything per screen like no no filler in any of the levels everything should be i should always be seeing something that's like my target the thing i i attempt that i can fail at or succeed at and then i move on to another set piece so everything is a set piece yeah uh we also wanted to only do things once and then move on so like we're not that's which is maybe breaking the retro rules a little bit there's very little reuse right it's like we did the catacombs and like you're not gonna see that same like floating platform in the forest later it's been interesting used to okay to that area we want want to present these kind of like uh, something i always say is every area that's that's true in sea of stars as well is is every area is a snow globe
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> you know i felt that in sea of stars as well so, I actually oh, when cool. we got to like the third mm-hmm. area or something in sea of mm-hmm. stars i was like Jesus Christ, there's so much art in this game. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So these
1: these like super self-contained but like fully developed things and we let them just stand on their own and yeah. and sort of like the exposure time they will get through how many people play it and also through how many people care to replay it if there was no like tedious bit you know when you have that's that was another thing we had like when there were only like five guidelines to the game it's like no bit that makes you go i'm never playing that again you know what i mean like no like this labyrinth that's super annoying that maybe makes sense the first time around but then you just make a mental note like ah this felt like a task you know yeah yeah um yeah yeah So no, but then in terms of keeping it retro, I think really what it is, is, is we, we just kind of, we hold that frequency and we just, whenever we're looking at something, we're briefing for a feature or reviewing an asset that was made. It's, it's kind of just interrogating, like, is that, is that threatening, like the, the kind of like the, 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 the thin line that I feel that's connecting me the string that's connecting me to my inner child, if you will, that remembers retro game, and it needs to elevate it all the time. And so there are a lot of things that we did. It's like, well, yeah, that looks technically in its own, like with blinders on, that looks Mm -hmm. prettier, right? Just from an art perspective or whatever. But it's taking a jab at the retro feel of the game. And so we were very mindful. It wasn't very... uh, uh, well-defined but we were aware of there's some kind of budget we can modernize a little bit we can do things that retro games couldn't do but yeah. if we do it too much it's going to reach a breaking point where you lose that retro immersion yeah. so we're trying to be like hit the wall take a step back we know we went all the way basically kind of
2: yeah i love it it's so good as well i'm shiva shivan ready um head of media molecule um fantastic you know The producer as well. Um, Mm. I remember her saying something on a podcast once that was, you know, she was asked the difference between people who like can ship a game and people who can't, like producers that can ship and producers that struggle. And she spoke Mm. about this point where video games are all in our heads, you know, whether you're working on a team with five or you're working a team with, you know, 100 or 250 when you're starting work on a video game, it's in everyone's heads, you know, like, and yeah. that video game looks different. It might, be, even if everyone's aligned, it still looks slightly different to everyone, right? Because they're imagining different things. You can explain yeah. it as much as you want, but it's still in their heads. And mm-hmm. she said, the point that you want to get to the fastest, where everything changes, the biggest inflection point, I'm, I'm kind of paraphrasing here, you know, and embellishing <laughs> a little bit because she said it many years ago, and I've really taken it mm-hmm. to heart, is um, when the, game is no longer in everyone's heads and it's on one screen that all of you are looking at together Mm. and you then can talk objectively about what is on screen and you can discuss it together because it's no longer just an Mm. idea in everyone's heads it's slightly different Mm. right and it makes the communication process so much you said the importance of getting to that so quickly the reason why i bring that up is because this razor that you're talking about about having you know this retro aesthetic there mm. that you know all of us have grown up playing, you know, if you're our age, right? Um, it provides a very clear razor when you do have that game on screen, mm. right? It's a really interesting and amazing tool. I can imagine like things must have moved pretty smoothly once you once mm. you've got the game prototyped in that retro aesthetic. Is did you find that razor was was pretty mm. easy to interrogate? Were folks able to get be on the same page about like, yeah, mm. this does feel retro or this doesn't? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I, I very much, like, and and you're right, like, from the, from the, the when you work on the game, it's just assets in an engine for a very long time, right? <laughs> and you're like, is it ever going to feel, to me, like it's yeah. seamless, like it's now a thing that's whole and that yeah. I can actually, am, am I going to stop feeling like that's just an asset in an engine, yeah. you know? And then polish takes you there. And what, I, I remember, just uh, real quick, that what Lauren used to say, I feel in the same vein of, of, of the thing you mentioned, Siobhan, saying is, uh, he said, he said, I, I was working with him on a prototyping a gameplay and he said, it doesn't sing yet. <laughs> and, 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 and he kind of, he kind of seemed to, uh, it's my understanding. I don't want to speak yeah, for him, but my yeah. understanding was, it was as if he was saying like, look, there's a limit to how much we can talk about it. We just need to keep implementing until it speaks for itself.
2: Yes. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, and it's by, exactly I think, the same thing. Yeah. yeah yeah. And so
1: and and you do reach that point at some point. Like so for a while it's just we're we're just we're just chopping trees down. Yeah. And eventually there's this thing that that speaks for itself yeah. and everyone sees it. And now it's like, okay, now instead of like moving away from where it's not, we can move toward where it's at because yeah. now we all we all see it and then people start contributing ideas but it's not all abstract stuff that you're like yeah we could do something different but we're not we're still trying to look for the thing we felt very abstract yeah. from the initial pitch but yeah the first the the the, the first time you hear that ping as you're like digging
2: <laughs> that's when know, you're like it's okay it's we all, reality, yeah.
1: Yeah, now we can all sort of interrogate it. We can all look at it, and we we can all get invested. Like, oh, but what if I do this? Yeah, I agree, but I think it's better presented like in this from this angle. What do you think? It's like, oh, yeah, I agree. Oh, let me try something. Okay, but but there reaches a point where we're, as you said, we're all talking about the same thing now, and we're all like moving towards. So yeah, that's when that's when uh, at least uh, you know in our production that's where everything kicks into kind of overdrive because now everyone sees it. So
0: yeah,
2: do you remember that question? Did that come? Did that come early in the process with this game, or did it come much later? Because I know even genre, for example, we work in strategy, and that point mm. doesn't come until like beta. It's torturous. Mm. <laughs> but oh, yeah. in some in some games, you know, where you can get a really tight vertical mm. slice because the verticality of your game is is quite yeah. low.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, you know, it can happen very early on. When do you remember that moment when you when you sort of struck iron, so to speak, with your shovel?
1: Yeah, for, for, for Messenger, it came pretty fast because we yeah. just had the little cloud step mechanic where it's like there's no double jump, but if you hit something in the air, it resets your jump. And it's kind of okay. like, okay, is that like a unique mechanic that carries the whole thing? And we just did, we kind of did a gym of like, let's do 100 screens using that idea. And it's like, okay, cool, it does carry the game. So we yeah. moved on to vertical slice really fast because we knew, you know, how as long as there's water, there's sauce, right? But we knew that this <laughs> mechanic was actually enough to carry the entire game, yeah. uh, or we felt confident that it was, I should say. Yeah. Uh, and so we moved on to, to Vertical Slice really fast, actually, and we just did the first level of the game, and we, we took it all the way to, like, final. Wow. Uh, and so, yeah, right there, we, we felt it. We did some playtests and everything. and uh, But the, the big click moment, though, because Back then, it was still. We were still just a group of friends who, by all accounts, were only going to sell 22 copies, right? <laughs> uh, because you don't, you don't know, right? Everyone who sets out to yeah. do this believes you're also their making thing like a retro,
2: a retro yeah. ninja game. Like you just, oh, you no. don't know the marketability of that. Like obviously, high. We found out since, mm-hmm. but yeah, I totally yeah.
1: Know. yeah, yeah. No, there was a lot of like, uh, yeah, we've heard that before, and I was like, yeah, but then you know. We've heard zombies before, yet here we are with another one. You know, <laughs> yeah. like, I feel like it's fair. I don't feel like ninja is the one that's been overdone, but anyway. Yeah. And and so, no, but uh, which my counter to that, by the way, just quick parenthesis here Not is right. like, yeah. I, I was, I when people were saying like there's too many ninja games, I was like. I bet, like, if I remove Tenchu, I don't think you can name a single ninja game where the ninja is like in context. It's
2: so funny that you say this because I've been going on a rant recently mm. about how there aren't enough ninja games, like, or even right. ninja, like that ninja media. Obviously, you and I right. in our childhood bombarded with ninjas. Oh like, yeah, ninjas In the eighties and nineties, right? Everything yeah. had a ninja, but mm-hmm. they've dropped off. To a point where you're doing the Lord's work, like the messenger, we mm. need, you're actually doing the heavy lifting at the moment. We mm. need ninjas to come back. <laughs> I actually, so <laughs> sidebar for a second, it's funny you mentioned Tenchu, just because recently in oh. October, just last month, I had dinner with Takuma Endo creator yeah. of Tenchu. Mm, and um, wow. I had a, had a conversation with him at PAX Australia about it and everything. I was telling him the same thing. I was like, mm. dude, we, we need to get you back. We've got to dust, yeah. dust the tools. <laughs> like, we need Ninja games. So I'm, I'm oh, out yeah. there pitching, you know, like I, I awesome. believe you. And don't get me started on zombie, zombie stuff
0: as yeah, well. Yeah. Like,
2: yeah, yeah, it's amazing that like the miles that that has in the tank zombies for some <laughs> reason, but yeah. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you were saying sorry. You said there was a real inflection point as well, another one too.
0: Um, oh yeah. yeah.
2: Well, the, so th- there was also the moment
1: where where the shovel made sound, which was like it it might meet an audience, right? And that was at right. PAX East, where where we just had a booth, right? And yeah. and someone was playing, and and just seeing the face i the yeah, person playing yeah. and like, it's kind of like the music swelled while they were dodging like a stumper trying to, <laughs> and I was like, oh man, it, it, it the game the is like, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's actually a complete game. Like someone is playing a video game right now
0: yeah. that we made
1: and they don't see any of the seams. They don't feel like it's assets in an engine, yeah. you know, they're fully dialed in um and so yeah that was that was kind of uh that was a big moment you know seeing that it actually comes across you
2: know there's something in the indie experience that i think unfortunately like triple a developers are robbed of and that is Mm -hmm. the experience of showcasing your game at different events like PAX. over the years i always say when i come back to the team in melbourne and i've been over at pax west or a bit summit or whatever Mm -hmm. showing off the game like i'm I always say to them, like, I wish you were there, you know? And like, Mm -hmm. often some of them are, you know, like a lot, you know, we've taken a bunch of crew overseas, you know, and showing off the game and stuff. But I remember Mm -hmm. in the early days of Armello, the first Mm -hmm. time we showed it at PAX Australia in 2013, that moment that you're talking about where people are playing this thing that's pre-release and you need, you're in the, you're in the, like the Mariana Trench of darkness of like game development. Oh, and yeah. You, you <laughs> come up to the surface to show someone your game and they have that moment that you're talking about where you're like, holy shit, we are making a video yeah. game and this person appreci- appreciates it. Mm-hmm. The, the fuel that you can run off from those experiences is just, it's amazing. It's like oh, yeah. it's soul food for
0: sure.
1: It's so special. Yeah. It's really, really something else because you're aware of all like the little, you know, faults that your thing has and you're worried about like performance and this or that level. And then you're wondering if this other idea is going to pan out. And it's like, no, here's just a short distill of someone just like taking it in yeah. and like this is what really matters, actually right? doing it. Yeah. At the yeah. end of the day, that's why you do it, you know?
2: So. Yeah. All right, well, look, it's a perfect segue into the partner that you brought on for The Messenger. We're talking about, you know, the game of PAX and showing things and everything. Mm-hmm. The Messenger published by Devolver Digital. Tell me how Devolver mm-hmm. came onto the scene and, you know, how that partnership came about.
1: We had the... So we had the... our, our A very early believer uh, for us was uh, Kirk Scott from uh, Nintendo of America back in yeah, the day. Yeah. He was uh, sure. a Nindy account manager. And so, I mean, obviously... Uh, Kirk was a tremendous account manager and and an absolute treat. Mm-hmm. Um, and so yeah, and basically he showing him the game. And and I think it was at uh, GEC 2017, probably for the first time. And he said, "Okay, I, I hear you. You know, it's it's very early, but I I hear you. Uh, it 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 sounds like it's a lot of work." To take home in the what small time you you have here mm-hmm. yeah uh but it sounds really cool because i was telling the whole thing and we only had the one level only an eight bit you know with no upgrades on the character <laughs> and, and you're all. telling them about the the going to
2: the and future and i was like, like yeah, you know, yeah, right?
1: yeah. <laughs> i was like next year there's time travel yeah and yeah. so and and he was like look it, it sounds amazing and then uh so the next year we're at uh it's uh oh actually no it was still in 2017 late in the year at migs right in montreal yeah, yeah, in yeah. november so we meet again and i'm like can i show you like where we're at and he was basically like i can't believe how much progress you yeah, made on this. Like, oh, to they're, they're doing yeah.
2: that holy shit yeah
1: it was like okay so you're actually delivering what you said you would so now it's a different that's a yeah. different conversation uh and and so and basically so we saw him again at at uh so it was Pax uh, South, so yeah. yeah, January I think of twenty eighteen yeah, yeah, sure. yeah. in uh, San Antonio. I think that's over now, but yeah. Um, and and so we were there, and it's like ah, looking for a publisher. We're considering speaking to a few of them. Not sure, blah blah. And he goes, why not Devolver? And it's like, well, I mean, no shit, right? Like it's like, <laughs>
0: oh, I mean,
1: yeah, of course. And yeah. and 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 he said, no, I think they just need to see the game. And it's like, okay, well. I mean, I don't know, I don't know how to do this. And he said, well, I'll bring them over. We had a very small booth, yeah. uh, but we were next to the Cyanide and Happiness comic. Oh, so yeah. we, so people were like kind of coming over, you know, because of that. And <laughs> yeah. We just had our own TV, you know, yeah. that we flew and all. It's like, ugh. but, um, <laughs> and so it was uh, Nigel who you, I'm sure you know from. Yeah. Nigel, uh, Nigel Aaron, yeah. And I was kind of like, oof, okay, this is it. Uh, and so I gave the pitch, and you, he, he, he had a complete like blank face. And I was like, "He's just being professional. I don't know. Maybe he probably yeah. hates it. Whatever." And I gave the whole pitch. I explained the like looping around. You come back to the beginning of the game, but in the future, and then the frame yeah. falls and all. And he said he had this weird like he always crosses his leg and like his feet are like sideways on the floor. How does he yeah. do it? <laughs> Trying to pitch while like.
0: <laughs> and,
1: yeah, and then. <laughs> And then he says, uh, I, "Would you mind pitching to to the the whole team?" And and I said, "No, I'm happy to do it." And and he sent like uh, whoever they happened to have, you know, uh, at the event. I, I know JM was there, JR was there, so <laughs> whole bunch of Devolver crew. Yeah. And and I did the whole pitch, and they actually they applauded, and I was like, oh (laughs) wow, no way! I was like, no way! Publisher applauding you after you uh, (laughs) pitch. And it was on the floor, but it was on the floor at Pax too, which is like so weird. And and then uh, uh, he because we had done, I was new to this, but we had met a few publishers and like meeting rooms and like trying to look at maybe a sort of a deal and. Then he just said like we, we we want it, and I was like okay, but like had a, like you don't even know what we need, you don't even have like a timeline. He's like he's like eh.
2: he's like no no no, I think you didn't hear me. We want it.
1: So yeah, so he was basically like, and seeing that was like yeah, that's. The way that we are, you know, as Sabotage, kind of like no management and like we're just trusting people to kind of put their best foot forward every day yeah. and they're generally driven and we don't manage yeah. like you weren't here yesterday. It's like, no, we all we all want to deliver something cool. If you need time, just take it. This kind of like less, this, this more candid way of yeah. doing things was yeah. a great fit with, with Devolver as well, yeah. which for them was like, look, you we're excited about the game well the rest is just formalities that we'll just figure out and they yeah. basically said yes to everything we needed and wanted uh the the deal was actually fair it wasn't like an attempt to start a negotiation where there are no they know there's gonna be some give it was like no that actually makes sense
0: yeah Let's just yeah. do
1: it, and it was it was it was an amazing amazing relationship.
2: Yeah, they're fantastic operators, Devolver. They're awesome, and I, the thing yeah. it's funny that you talk about Pack South because Pack mm-hmm. South, San San Antonio, you know, was such a special mm-hmm. thing. But I, for <laughs> me personally, one I think one of the special. Things about Pack South was Devolver because a bunch mm. of them are from Texas. So it was kind of oh, yeah. like their packs. And then they had that Devolver hotel, you know, where they would like shack mm. up all their devs in this crazy yeah. little boutique hotel and, you know, mm. cook them breakfast. We, we, um, they were kind enough as well to like give us a room in there at one point for Pack mm. South as where mate took them as well. It's just, it was such a great vibe, Pack South. Oh, yeah. I, I really enjoyed it. It was, a, it was a really cool packs. Absolutely. Yeah. It was fun. All right. Well, uh, messenger amazing like folks if you haven't played the messenger really especially if you like for any reason um enjoyed ninja gaiden um or you feel strongly like terry and i do that there should be more ninjas in media today, <laughs> um absolutely check out the messenger but let's talk about what came after that and i mean immediately after terry so you release the game and obviously i mean it's still sitting on very positive it's like not 93 or something on steam mm obviously it sold quite well it really like just threw your studio onto the scene right. you know and especially with mm. devolver's help and little stamp of approval yeah. talk to me about about release and those those moments immediately after release and forgive me as well i can't remember if you supported the game at all afterwards or whether you just put a bow on it and moved on to oh the, yeah yeah we so there.
1: we did uh, we did a dlc uh, <laughs> that came out about a year after that great uh yeah the 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 way and and that's a a, just a quick aside maybe but like the way i look at at dev cycles is is i obviously we don't want to just fire people uh, in between projects right Uh, but also Yeah, yeah. (laughs) yeah but also you well i mean it's something we see a lot right but but also uh you need a smaller team to prototype to to get to work on the next big idea. You can't just move everyone, at least we can't. And so what I love about DLC is that it's kind of a known quantity of a pipeline. And so just everyone, it's not so much a business case for us, meaning like this will be good for the bottom line if we make a DLC, it's like, what a great way to kind of just do a bit of a wacky like Christmas special within our game to celebrate that it worked out. Yeah. It keeps everyone busy while we do the groundwork for the next game, and then we kind of transition in that way. So basically, that's what we did: is we had a, a kind of a summit, like an offsite thing for a week, where I pitched DLC for Messenger, like right after a month after a release. Yeah. Uh, so first, I played Spider-Man. That's that's the first thing that happened, but <laughs> because it was it was just it really coming better. out. Yeah. 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 And so, which I got to do again with Spider-Man 2 now. uh, We launch a game, yeah. yeah. So
2: that's
1: that's why we need to make a third game, right? So there's a Spider-Man that
2: can release right after. I'm excited to play Spider-Man 3, so you do need to get to work on (laughs) that. Absolutely. Uh, And and so, yeah, so at the summit,
1: it was basically, here's a pitch for DLC. Here's a pitch for Sea of Stars. Uh, And basically the studio was kind of like split into, okay, some people just, they work on DLC. Some people do the groundwork for Sea of Stars. and. DLC releases and then the whole team transitions over to we're now ready to kind of just start producing Sea of Stars until it's done. And we're actually doing the same thing now. We had the summit uh, three weeks ago. So we are working on DLC for Sea of Stars and we're a smaller team is starting the groundwork for the next game, which we'll eventually all transition to when we're ready.
2: I I love it. So actually, I just, you know, we'll obviously get to Sea of Stars in a bit, but talking Mm -hmm. about this post-launch thing, I remember... When I reached out to Unlu at Kalu Nights and I was like, mm. "Unlu, we want to speak to Terry about yeah. Sea of Stars on the podcast. Let's hook it up." And Claudio started mm. talking to you. The first thing Unlu said was, "They're gonna, they're on holidays, or they're going to be on mm. holidays after the game." All right. Yeah, so yeah. talk to me a little bit about that as well, because you mentioned you played Spider Man One, and then obviously oh, yeah. you played Spider Man Two. But yeah. the whole team took a break after Sea of Stars.
1: Yeah. So well, yeah. It's 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 kind of. Uh... It's kind of like the way the way we we do this is you know because obviously we don't do like a oh no let's work stupid hours you know but people yeah, yeah, get yeah. invested they kind of naturally get invested yeah yeah of course, uh, towards the towards
2: an end of a video game yeah of course yeah like, a yeah, like yeah. camel needs yeah. to pass through the eye of a needle yeah. yeah
0: yeah
1: yeah and it's it's a very different conversation to like actual crunch but it's like there is something where people seem to naturally want to kind of Get more out of their craft for a little bit from time to time because they're invested, and yeah. lunch is coming, uh, yeah. and so that's what we do: is we we uh, we we close we everyone gets uh, we close the studio's door for a month and everyone is paid uh, without using like their vacation time. It's like your job wow. for the next month is to not work. We did that after Messenger a month, a full month off for everyone, and then we did that again for uh, Sea of Stars. It was a little bit like the thing is it does cause a bit of delay into like you know patching any issue or whatever yeah, but actually what we did is because uh, RQA happens uh, with the external firm yeah and so they they kept filing everything oh, and when there we came back bugs to come back yeah, yeah, to. Yeah. a month of bugs a month a whole month of bugs and then when when we came back it was basically well we have our work cut out for us of like doing yeah. this first like patch for the game try to fix as much as possible of the major yeah. issues that we're seeing or like typos or whatever and so yeah so that's basically how we Got back, which is also a good way to get back in the saddle. It's like ah, I'm just going to fix a few bugs instead of like let's yeah, start off totally. directly on the next big thing. It's like now let's slowly kind of get the machine going again. You know,
2: yeah, like a re-entry into the game dev atmosphere, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Amazing. Mm-hmm. All right. So let's 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 move on to Sea of Stars um, because <laughs> obviously that's the primary reason reason why we're here as well. It's just released um, to you know. Amazing, amazing acclaim and also success. Like, tell me as well what you sold a million copies in like what three days, four days? It's, it's been,
1: it's been pretty, it's been pretty crazy. We got, we <laughs> got the, to
2: say it
0: for sure. <laughs> the,
1: the, where we're sitting right now, but I have to say though, it does include like we have like Game Pass and, and yeah. uh, we're on, on the PlayStation catalog as well. Yeah. But we, we passed the uh, four million installs uh, for the game. That is so,
2: wild. That's, yeah, so and I mean, look, just so everyone knows, I mean, we're talking about release was only what a month and a half ago as well, or yeah, two yeah. months ago. So mm. it's like that's mm. you know, that's just absolutely wild. Four million yeah. installs in like just a couple mm. of months, and the, ga- mm. the game deserves it as well. So you know, we'll oh, obviously get onto that. <laughs> but let's um, <laughs> let's talk about the inception of C of Star. So you do the yep. messenger, and you do. You know, like you you go on your break, you do a DLC, and there's another team, you know, and obviously the first, what, you know, almost like 20 minutes of this podcast, we're talking about Chrono Trigger. So it's not, <laughs> it's not such a hard idea for us and our listeners to get our head around how Sea of Stars, mm-hmm. you, it feels like maybe it was your master plan all along, even mm-hmm. down to the two characters on the, on, yeah. on the concept art, uh, or oh, sorry, the yeah. key art. Yeah. But talk to me about Sea of Stars and for you, what personally. You know, motivated you into bringing this game into life, and that being your next thing after the messenger.
1: Mm. Well, okay. So as you mentioned, it was the plan all along. Uh, <laughs> the thing was <laughs> the so so Ninja Gaiden and 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 and, uh, and especially two and um, Crown Trigger were kind of like the two big games. Um, Super Mario RPG was another gigantic one, and so yeah. by the time I could read a bit more English, I really got into JRPGs. Yeah. And for me, like ever, any game that was coming out, I was like, "Is it going to be the one?" And I was looking for the one that would have the Chrono Trigger style encounters, like with no transition to an arena. Yeah. Like yeah. to like a, a separate like screen wipe and and yeah, battle, yeah, I love battle that. arena.
2: I know, save stars too. Yeah, it's fantastic. That, but also the
1: Super Mario RPG active input during battle. Yeah. I was like, kind of like my dream as like games were coming out and I was tracking announcements and just being a, a huge fan of Square. Yeah. Was like, oh, is it going to be this one where where everything is seamless and also everything is active? And yeah. to my knowledge, it never happened. Yeah. And yeah. so that was the main, that was kind of like the main, I don't say justification, but it's like, no, we're going to make the pixel art turn-based RPG that yeah. combat happens seamlessly and that also you have active inputs and also the third the, the lesser discussed uh, uh, inspiration is Illusion of Gaia if you remember jumping off the roof in that game how tactile that felt mm-hmm. just yeah. jumping off the roof and landing <laughs> and it was kind of like which is our whole like traversal thing outside of combat in Sea of Stars is like we we called it just a world you can touch. One of the pillars for the game was like we wanted a very tactile world.
2: Yeah, it feels so, that way for sure. I mean, the first time
1: water and things like the that. The first
2: yeah. time the stone giant yeeted me to another. Oh, yeah. to another <laughs> part of the world. I was like, oh, I actually like yeah, literally yeah. vocally made a sound on the couch. <laughs> it was great. Right, right.
1: And yeah, the, the, this idea that you can touch and feel everything, like hoisting and then like grabbing the ledges. And it seems like it, it was kind of like a, a level of, of like sort of unshackled, you know, traversal of the world yeah, that you, yeah. you seldom see in a game of that genre with that kind of camera angle and art direction. So mm. it felt like there was something there as well to to that makes it more in tune as well with the active side of combat. It's like the game throughout the game, there's there's a, a sense for the kinetics and the, and the tactile feel of it.
2: Yeah. It's, yeah, and it really feels like it's, you know, seems like you've achieved your pillars that you set out to achieve because I felt like as I was playing the game, those things immediately stood out to me, like the tactility of the world, you know, jumping off the ledges and smashing through the, you know, the ground into the caves and, you know, the vaulting Mm -hmm. and even just the verticality of the world as well. Because as you were saying, a lot of the time with that elevated camera that so many of these, you know, retro JRPGs had, um mm-hmm. you, that verticality isn't there a lot of the time especially with tactility really? and yeah i mean the the active components in what is often you know a very stilted you know combat mechanic in games mm-hmm. and has been historically and sometimes even to this day you know
0: mm-hmm.
2: uh is like whether it be sneaking up on people to get your little sneak attack before yeah. it starts which is then yeah. compounds with the you know the um the live the live yeah, yeah. is it live mp what's it called Live, live it? Mana, yeah. live mana yeah like I, I, it just, these elements really come together well to that even, mm. you know, though the genre itself does have these, just these core constraints that do make it a little bit stop-starty, you found these beautiful ways to almost like, when I was playing it yesterday, it felt like, you know, if you're putting something together and there are seams, it's almost like you put strapping or like some tape or something over the seams to smooth those moments to make sure mm. that it it had that flow. And it, it, it really feels that way. So tell me about really? the prototyping process. So you've got these pillars, mm. you've got this, these these this idea for the game obviously that Mm. you and then you finally got it you know i think as a game developer we have these games like you know we've all got those games that we're wanting to see right it's like Mm. like you're saying well, why isn't there a game like this or that i want to play this Mm. game and either someone will make it for you so for me i always wanted to see essentially what was ghost of Tsushima whenever anyone would ask me what oh. was my favorite game I'd be like a game where you're a samurai and it's RPG but then you know there's yeah. the different you've got to toe that line between the ninja life and the samurai life oh, very 15 yeah. year old boy idea yeah, yeah. but then you know I'm um, sucker punch when I made yeah. it and I'm like first of all bummed that I don't get to make it but secondly mm. ecstatic that I can enjoy it as a game oh yeah Right, mm. so you've reached this point where now, as a developer, you've got your dream game sort of in your hands. You've got it in a in a stranglehold. You're ready to start. Mm. What were those first few months like? What did you start with? Like, what was what was the prototyping freight, um phase mm. like with that core crew that you were saying whilst right, right. the DLC? Well,
1: so one thing is that the 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 ideation, like the the sort of the early steps of the game happened over years. Like th- that game was being discussed before even sabotage was oh, started. okay. Right. Yeah. And so a, it was basically like the this next game. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's kind of like we 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 need we need a team that's too big for a startup.
0: Yeah.
2: Uh,
1: and we need budget that's too big for a first like pitch to a publisher. Yeah. And it's also a game that's too Uh, sort of intricate with its systems it will be like what we used to say with messenger is like i jump, therefore i am right you look at five (laughs) seconds of the game everyone understands what it is they don't need to kind of like infer and whereas if you present like a turn-based rpg it's kind of like well okay anyone can make that gif And we've seen that promise many times, but do all these systems genuinely land in a way that I care to engage with? It just felt like a tougher, I'm not saying that's like necessarily a rule of law, but that's how we felt. It was like, it was probably harder to uh, not market, but kind of like a harder proposition to kind of have, you know, come across and have people believe in it. And so the idea was Messenger was a small team can do this. We can hopefully put our name on the map and then Mm -hmm. if we are kind of seen as a sort of a seal of quality and then we propose something more intricate people can be like well okay since it's these guys maybe i'll i'll believe and it's something we saw a lot in the in the comments we started with a a kickstarter for the game which you know people who who have played the previous game they were like yeah okay i'm gonna round everything to a higher number in my assumption that they will do this right because they they did the previous one yes. right, kind of, and yeah. that really 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 helped uh but also yeah we had to scale the team uh almost 4x right so that that also wow. meant it, it's a, a very different uh uh challenge but yeah but so but to your question though when we actually like after the summit everyone got the pitch we're getting to work uh okay. the first thing we always do uh, because if there's only one rule at sabotage is you never make something pretty until you've made it fun right and so we let everything be gray boxes we want the art the the, the 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 paint we call it the paint yeah we want it to be like added value we never want it to be like the like if you make it pretty you can there's something to fall in love with yeah and so then maybe it's not fun but you're not seeing it because you're too busy like liking the robe or whatever yeah. and so now and so we make a point like we need gray gray boxes here we just need gray blocks until it's actually genuinely engaging. So we make an ugly like stick figure character that has all the placeholder functions yeah. that we need for traversal, and we developed what uh, uh, we just we call them the three C's because our, our level designers from the Ubisoft method, but three C's being yeah. camera, character, and controls, obviously, yeah. uh, which is the core of everything that you're going to do in the game. Do I care to be this character? Do I? feel cool playing that character? Do do the controls feel right? And does the camera support that properly? And so we worked on the three Cs for, I want to say, almost a year. Yeah, wow. Uh, While we had a technical artist, Uh, working on the dynamic lighting system Mm -hmm. and while we also had a tools programmer working developing all the tools that we would need for the production so for almost a year it was just that three c's and tools and then art was doing like sketching and like research for art direction like mood boards and like some rendering tests of like what the pixel art could feel like but it was like but for now we just need this to control and to feel great uh and 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 what we love about looking at it has to be zero percent of why we enjoy playing the game yeah um so yeah that was really like the the main pillar was is always gameplay for us
2: Hmm. and it's interesting because like i mean in a game like sea of stars obviously there's like you say you've got to have those layers of gameplay so how many layers of those came on in that sort of core gray box? Obviously, I imagine mm-hmm. it was the traversal with some of those things. Mm-hmm. I imagine it's the active and seamless fights, you know, mm-hmm. and combat. Where, yeah. where did you do you remember how tight or sort of where the bounds of that first initial sort of prototyping? When you could, you know, get to the point where, as we've said, you know, the shovel hits mm-hmm. the metal or it's
0: fun mm-hmm. and you're ready yeah, yeah. to
2: play on the paint.
1: Most of it was the
2: for the combat
1: system. Yeah, because I was I was really trying to design something where it would be low numbers.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, and the low numbers are everywhere in the game. You know, I I, I have these high level notes of like things that I find annoying that I wish yeah. we could kind of do differently. One one of them being like when the shopping experience is basically, are there more digits in my wallet than on this up price tag? You know, and yeah. that's all you're really because the numbers are so big, you can't like you do one fight, you get seventeen thousand. You're like you don't know what, and yeah, I wanted too like abstract. Yeah, I wanted like 50 gold to still mean something to the player mm-hmm. even in the late game, and so it's kind of like this approach of like the low numbers, things you can understand, and and always this kind of like push and pull with everything that yeah. you stay in that like kind of like that kind of friction zone, but yeah. in a good way, right? Yeah. That you're feeling like what your your decision has like weight, and so a smaller kit for every character, like very few spells, but because there's the active aspect to it, and then it being more around so sorry uh, final fantasy 10 was another yeah. big inspiration in how you know oh this character is fast so this character can do it this character needs elemental magic so this character so it's yes. not that you yeah. have your heavy hitter that's always your go-to it's that situationally everyone gets to shine There will every character will you can still have a favorite narrative yeah. but they will they will each have moments to shine and so the idea is that Yes, they each only have three special moves. But mm-hmm. then we have 26 combos, yeah. which are things that any player can infer because they are extensions of the simple mechanics that you will learn with each of them. And so when we present Lux to break with different damage types, then every move that you do is not only about how much damage it deals, it's also about the utility of it. Yeah. And so you're looking at these patterns, these attack patterns, it's like multi-hit or AOE, or like we need to do sun and blunt. Okay, I don't have one character that does this, but combining these two would probably give me that, you know? Yeah. Um, and so building that, that system, like, okay, does that in fact or not lead to... A different dynamic for the combat system because I was trying yeah. to avoid like you have this big mana pool, you're never using your spells on regular fights, and then on the boss you do nothing but the one
0: every <laughs> spell that you have,
1: right? And yeah. so, yeah. and so the solve for that was the m the mana pool is so small. Yeah. But every time you do a regular attack, you regain a good portion of it. And yeah. so if you're attacking on a full bar, you feel like you're wasting regeneration. So you're going to be using your special moves in regular fights. Yeah. And you can't be spamming them because after one or two, you're empty. So you have to pace yeah. that with attacks. And that yeah. just the idea of that with the Lux that are kind of passing like commands to the player, like, oh, try to do like three poison and one blade, you know, yeah. that kind of creates a dynamic where the player will naturally be varying what they're using and then the Mm -hmm. animations that they see playing and there isn't like a thing you'll never you you just put under the carpet you'll be using everything because everything has a use yeah. in certain situations. So anyway, that was the, kind of like the, the vision, basically. It's uh, great. It's,
2: and so it sounds like a lot of that came out organically from that prototyping process of mm-hmm. but there's some things that are in the game now as part... I'm talking about the combat mechanics specifically now. Yeah. Was there anything that you brought to it immediately that you and the team knew before you even started prototyping it up? It's like, okay, like for example, the active um, uh, sort of uh, fights that not going to another another page, oh, yeah. some of these some of these mechanics that you're talking about and mm-hmm. the way that they interact. What did you actually go to the prototyping with, as opposed to things that sort of fell out of it organically?
1: Right, well, so the 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 active part, like the pressing to reduce the incoming damage, that was there from the initial pitch. It was yeah, like, we're right. doing the chrome Trigger Super Mario RPG, like, it's never been yeah. done, we need to do that. That was kind of like the, the premise. Then the Lux system uh, were really just kind of like... Because again, back to the Final Fantasy X uh, uh, reference, was yeah. like it was really fun to feel like each character has their time to shine. Yeah. But it was like, how do we take that conversation further? Because it's like every enemy really comes down to who can kill it in a single hit, <laughs> and you either you know you either do that or it's four hits from anyone else. Yeah. So it was kind of like, okay, can we make something more with that, where the same enemy can randomize a pattern? Yeah. That will mean that there's not always like the one go-to thing to get rid of that in a single hit. And there's also a skill aspect to it because if there's yeah. more than one luck, maybe you need to time your presses properly. <laughs> and so it's kind of adding those layers, but really it's it's just more peeling, basically, yeah. you know, like more yeah. things to kind of work on. But it's really like the Final Fantasy X idea of like the rock, paper, scissor aspect
0: yeah.
1: of yeah. it but with more layers you know yeah so that was kind of like sort of the premise you know it's like let's have rock paper scissors with layers basically
2: yeah i love it all right so then let's talk about you've mentioned you know you needed to scale the team to 4x mm. and that this is a much mm. grander game than you had before so in this prototyping phase i imagine that's at the forefront of your mind mm. um devolver published messenger but we actually share partners, um, you know, we're, we're, we, both of our games are co-funded yeah. by Kowloon uh, yeah. Knights and they were your partner for A Sea of <laughs> Stars as well. So, you know, when did Alexi and co over at Kowloon come onto the scene uh, for A Sea of yeah. Stars? Yeah, uh, it was, uh, it was
1: uh, Callum Underwood back in the day. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Was still yeah. The, yeah. And so basically, and he really, he like saw the project and he really believed and he, you know, sent, sent emails. Um, so yeah, big, big, big thanks. We owe a lot to, to Callum. Shout out to Callum. We love Callum. Oh yeah, Callum. for sure. Oh yeah. Um, and so what happened is we, we decided that we wanted to self-publish. Uh, yeah. And and that's not any any slight on Devolver. They're as good as it gets and yeah, yeah. Abso- absolutely would do again. Yeah. Uh, they've been nothing but amazing. but we actually just wanted like we want to fully do this like yeah. on this journey as developers we want to feel like we actually did do everything you know
0: yeah uh, no, they really helped you know? design, yeah. it put
1: us oh yeah it's like they they really helped it put us on the map it was a big seal of approval we got a lot of press we made a lot of contacts because the fact that they signed our game was news right so it's yeah, like, massive, it, it, helped,
0: yeah.
1: it helped tremendously uh but it's like now that we kind of had this velocity we we're like okay cool can we like be even more on our own right because uh uh, we we want to see how far we can kind of take this on our own and then so what we did with the kickstarter was because we were all in right uh the the first game did well you scale your team uh, 4x and you look at five years of production you're empty for sure you know so it's like (laughs) the kickstarter was (laughs) the kickstarter was was it's always a bit a bit kind of not complicated but it's it's kind of hard to talk about this a little bit because you don't want kind of like I mean I'm happy to discuss with you what I meant is like in general like when you're public facing it's kind of hard to talk about the real costs of making a production yeah I think
0: as well
2: there's something that you know it's really interesting, especially when you're a self-publishing as a mm. developer, you know, and you're you're looking at all of the costs and what it mm-hmm. takes, you know, just like yeah. you, you know, because again, just so everyone knows, a lot of people make the mistake thinking that Kowloon Knights is a publisher. They're, they're not. Kowloon Knights is essentially a games fund and they finance projects and obviously they've got... They are, you know, they also have Kepler as well. A lot of the people involved in Kalloon, you know, are involved in Kepler too. And Kalloon now sits under under Kepler. And Kepler is a publishing arm. So they have the contacts, they have the capabilities and everything. But there if you're signed to Calhoun Knights, basically you've you've received some games funding, which we got, you got. Yeah. And it's to enable folks like us to self-publish or for folks like us to then go and find another publisher. It's to help get mm-hmm. independent projects off the ground. Mm-hmm. Amazing work. But what I was gonna say in response to what you're saying about, you know, the the realities of funding a game and everything is that I think even with the open and transparent development that we have with the community and how involved almost more than any other medium Mm -hmm. the audience is in regards to the creation of our craft and our games and our products, Mm -hmm. there is still this, like the understanding of what it takes to make a game and the, especially around the budgets and the costs and things is just, Mm -hmm. um, it's not it's not one-to-one. It's not even mm. close. And it and I yeah. I totally agree. It makes it very hard. I remember it came out recently that, you know, Horizon Zero Dawn cost 250 million bucks oh, yeah. to make. And there were folks even in the games industry who are like, whoa, what the fuck? And it's like, yeah. yeah, there's there's a huge amount of um, I think, education that still needs mm. to happen. I don't even know if it's possible for it to be fully successful, you know, yeah. for our audiences around what it actually costs and makes, you know what it costs to make a video game. And I think things like Kickstarter as fantastic as they are out there, when you see a Kickstarter game get funded for like 500 grand and it's successful and you're like, yes, it's like, well, (laughs) after you take out Kickstarter's cut, all the rewards and everything, that's only going to fund what 8% of the game or 10% of the game maybe, right? So I totally Mm -hmm. get you. It is a really Mm -hmm. strange thing to talk and an awkward thing also to talk publicly about like what these games cost and how much- Say, for example, a Kickstarter campaign has contributed mm. to the development of something.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and the way, well, I mean, yeah, you're uh, yes to everything you said. You're exactly right. And <laughs> the thing is, we're trying, like the second you try to bring the reality of the finances to the players, yeah. it just kind of becomes uncomfortable. And, and our thing is like, look. We're we're the service that we're trying to provide is we make a game for you that's fun to play, and it's just more comfortable if we don't talk about that too much. We understand. Having said that, we still need to figure it out because the game needs to happen, you know. Yeah. And and so we were blessed with a successful Kickstarter. You know, we raised a, a million. Uh, US bucks with it yeah but as you said you know there people don't know about Kickstarter's cut people don't know about you know we're in Canada so the taxes come knocking and uh, <laughs> it's not five
2: percent someone right yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah yeah and so yeah. and and so I when when it comes down to it you're like well okay now we, we now have a, a few months of production. accounted for when we need five years yeah Yeah. and it's like but if you say this people are like no wait i thought you i thought you owned the boat now and and and, you know and so it's like you can't i don't don't know if there is a way to kind of convey that properly for for people but the thing is that uh, so the reason why we did a kickstarter wasn't so much to finance the game Mm -hmm. um it, it was more like a, a marketing and awareness beat, and so and a social proof beat, yeah. right? It's like, okay, like we're going test all almost, in. Right? Yeah. yeah, we're we're spending, we're taking the, the the treasure chest from Messenger, and we're we're emptying it on purpose to make this next thing. Yeah. So here's here's a here's a, a sanity check: Will people be there?
2: to buy this. Yeah, at the we other end it of this journey or yeah. just
1: empty yeah, yeah and so that was them. a big a big validation which is also how we got in the loop with for example Calvin Knights or any other publishers that we that wanted to talk yeah. is that having a successful uh, uh, campaign like that it, it it validated the idea that there was sort of if you want a market for it. Yes. And so when publishers were reaching out to talk, it's it kind of inverts the power dynamic instead of yeah. like, oh we're starving devs, can you please give us a second look? They're like, hey, we know you have something that that is going to pan out or it looks like it. So we really yeah. want to invest, you know. And so that allowed us to really put our own sort of terms and conditions forward. And, and we said no to a lot of things because we're like, look, we feel like we're in a good position and we're going to be able to get what the game is worth. And we still want to self publish it and so it's it's looking like it's probably there there were still a few options out there. And then Kowloon, I mean, obviously you work with them as well, so you would know, but they're I mean, you know, they're just really amazing. They genuinely trust their people. And that was something that because we hear from other devs with other publishers or they get other deals and we were I think we were really blessed in terms of that with Devolver and Kowloon afterwards is 100% of my experience is, well, when people sign your game, it's because they trust you so then they just let you do your thing. Yeah. That, that seems to be very rare.
2: So Yeah, that's, yeah, you're, Yeah, you're in for a rude awakening. There are a couple of publishers out there where you would be in for a rude awakening, I'm Mm. sure. But like you've definitely had, like at least in the indie scene, you know, the pick of the litter there for sure. Mm. Really great run. And they are phenomenal. Like we've been working with Kowloon now since early 2021. And Mm. it's absolutely exactly what you say. Like the the trust that they have in their teams. Sometimes like at the start, we were checking, I remember we got we asked them to get on a call to give them an update because it was about a year in. And I could tell Mm. on the call, although they were interested, they were kind of just like, don't need to be here like why are we here we trust you like you know yeah, just, make, yeah.
0: just make the game yeah, don't yeah. need
2: to update us we, we get it like that's why we're here and they've just been even, <laughs> to, even to the like this day they're just so supportive um you know right. it's, it's, they're a really great crew and it's a fantastic model you know I mean there's a really the, the the funding landscape is great and the you know is vast and the publishing landscape and everything in regards to where but just people coming along and providing an opportunity for talented creatives, like mm. I'm gonna put you and I and our teams in that bucket, right? Where like, yeah, we yeah. actually want a shot at self-publishing our games is just mm. it's actually and with terms that are reasonable and respectable, it's yeah. it's it's hard to find. And I think they mm. they fit a really great, you know, really great spot in the funding landscape. And I hope honestly that more of them, more of them come along as well. Mm. Um, other organizations similar to Kowloon. All right, oh, so yeah. that you you got that deal through, and then that's. You're you're off and you're running, you know. You're off to the races, as we mm-hmm. would say. When did you sort of transition the team over and like what were? Let's talk about some of the big, the big moments in development. You know, like some of the big challenges. Or give me give me a sort of like a ten thousand feet in the sky view of like what those those challenges were.
1: Well, the big one, the big one was was the lockdown, obviously, because so we had, right, you know yeah. it's sea it's sea of stars, you know, like sun and moon, super cute, yeah. and also it's like we're gonna announce. At the spring equinox, which is the Thursday of GDC, so we're gonna be out at in GDC in twenty twenty. I imagine you're saying in twenty twenty, yeah. and we have a we have a suite, right? And the press yeah. is just gonna roll in all day. I'm gonna give the initial pitch, and yeah. the Kickstarter launches on that day with a big like press thunderclap. Where like everything has been, you know. We're all super buttoned up, ready to go. And then, yeah, two weeks prior, it's like there's no GDC. And obviously, you know, we're just catching on to the idea that it's... It's,
2: it's that more we than that. It's super yeah. fun
1: for a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so we're like, oof, do we still do it, right?
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, and so that was kind of like the big moment because it's like the Kickstarter is make or break.
2: Yeah.
1: And we're, we're launching a Kickstarter like... As the lockdown yeah, kicks so off.
2: Falling apart. Yeah. Yeah,
1: so. yeah. And it was like, man, that is really super weird. And so we kind of just went like the the sort of the purpose route, you know, which was yeah. like, look, we're entertainers, people yeah. need something pretty to look at. They need their yeah. mind off of whatever's going on. Like what a yeah. unique moment to kind of fulfill our role, you know?
2: Yeah, parts of life uh, and even the darkest of times,
0: right? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah yeah, of course and so that that kind of that made us say like look we don't really care about the risk there's like meaning behind doing that regardless of what happens and so it happened to, to pan out uh, but it I, I don't think it was like necessarily a wise business decision to, to not yeah. hold on you know um, and then yeah, it worked out, and so from there it was basically like, well, okay, we we made this successful campaign, but we can't celebrate, uh, <laughs> which which is a very minor gripe, all things considered. But still, it was yeah. kind of like if we're just talking about production, it was like, eh, no, I course, yeah, we're talking about you, so yeah, it's yeah. totally
2: fair for you to take like, yeah, a Zoom how you felt. a
1: Zoom call of like, hey, we did it, you know, <laughs> oh, we're funded, God. like yeah, and yeah. Um, not not what we envisioned, let's say,
0: yeah,
1: um, no, I and so yeah, and after that, it was basically like. Put our head down for for the better part of a year, uh, mm-hmm. while we were having conversations. My my business partner uh, Phil and I and were having just business conversation with potential publishers, and eventually Kowloon mm-hmm. became kind of like, the, oh no, that's the one. Like that sounds too good to be true. Let's dig in, and <laughs> okay, it's actually yeah. Yeah. It, it's both too good and true. So let's just <laughs> do it. Uh,
0: basically, it was
1: the conclusion. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, and then from there, it was mostly mostly production, I would say we, we most of it happened uh, on lockdown and we, because for the better part of two years, basically, right? Yeah. Uh, I was trying to figure out how to work remotely and, and it went, we, we, we let it go slower than it would have if we were on site. We kind of had that understanding, you know, we're happy yeah. to let people work remote now, but we do see kind of like a dip if we don't, if we're not, you know, often present at yeah. the office. Yeah. Uh, just from this, you know, just pointing at the screen and asking these questions. And there's no, just no totally getting on a call for a question, you know, whereas I was talking to about.
2: I was talking to someone about it yesterday. Obviously, you can ship fantastic games from home. Like, it's not like it of can't course. be done. You know, like what mm. Spider Man Two. We were just talking about it. They ship yeah. that entire. You know, they can. The crew can work wherever they want. Obviously, there's folks mm. in the office too. But you know, like they can,
0: right. they can do
2: that from wherever they wanted. Insomniac. Mm. But like I, I, I agree. Like one of our experience too is, you know, just one of those things that you do miss when you're remote is those happy accidents of like
0: mm. hearing mm.
2: someone talk about something and being like, oh no, I did that yesterday. You don't need to spend five hours on that. Or yeah, exactly looking at the screen together in the quick rapture. It is something yeah. that I think we do, you know, you do actually miss out on when you're working from home. Mm. And I think as well, honestly, because we experienced lockdown happened, we were working on a project with private division and like mm. the lockdown, you know, we had like in 300 days or something like that of actual lockdowns right. and curfews in Melbourne. It was gnarly. Um, mm. And we were in the depths of pre-production on like a brand yeah. new game and id and ip and everything and so you know like i was saying before about our analogies like the game was in all of our heads and we couldn't even be mm-hmm. in the same room you know we couldn't yeah. have four people in front of a whiteboard or mm-hmm. you know trying to get it onto a screen together and it's mm-hmm. yeah it can be it can be really full on at different periods yeah. of development so i, c- I can appreciate like
0: mm-hmm. you're announcing
2: the game you're still in early stages and you're all working from home trying to get that game onto a screen as we were saying yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah
1: absolutely uh, and yeah, but for, from there, uh, from there, the, the the big, I mean, the uh, one big thing that happened was we were in a Nintendo Direct. That was like,
2: yeah, huge. that was for this, probably for this honor of game as well. Like, yeah, that's got to be massive. Yeah,
1: yeah, no, that was unreal uh and then that made us have to because you know there's got to be some uh, you got to offer something <laughs> yeah. so it's like okay well we're gonna have and of course you're gonna you're gonna have like some areas you've never shown before bosses you've never yeah. shown before that reveal a new playable character things like that but we also chucked in like we're gonna announce a release date for the game all right and right. so yeah and so we committed to our release date uh through the the direct that was uh, last
2: February. So, and then from there it was like, okay, now it it needs to, (laughs) it needs to happen. How did you find that? Because I mean, that's the classic thing when you're self-publishing too, right? Mm -hmm. Like that responsibility is on you. We're, um, we're very shortly, I think probably by the time this podcast has come out, we will have, you know, this episode, we will have announced the release date for Solium Infernum*. But the Mm -hmm. conversation inside is in, in the studio is like, it's literally uh, publishing works in the same studio as the developers and you're like yeah. is it go is it not and i mean we mm-hmm. missed the window i think we definitely waited too late on the jump light odyssey release date because you know right. like some articles are coming out about like biggest games launching in august already before mm-hmm. we'd announced that we were going to launch in august oh so, right right uh-huh. and, like i'm keen to talk to you about the release date because we've released i mean we launched launched into early access with, with jump mm-hmm. light odyssey but i mean we were like five days apart or seven days apart or something like that. And it was a crazy month. So Mm -hmm. like you, and none of us, neither of us would have known this, you know, in February of last year or whatever. So talk to me about that. Cause obviously it's gone very, very well for you, but like coming into that release date, how are you Mm -hmm. feeling both on the team and sort of looking at the market and what was happening?
1: Yeah. I mean, so that's the thing is, is when, as you said, like when we committed to the date, there was no Starfield and no Baldur's Gate tree in the vicinity.
2: <laughs> and you're like threading the needle. Like and we ended up releasing
1: like in between yes, those same. two, right? So whew, that was, yeah, that was honestly, that was that, like, we'll never know what would have happened if, yeah. but our okay. thing is like, you know, because I mean, obviously, you know, the the behind the scenes, but it's like moving a date. If if you're not, you know, like we're not a big fish, you know, it's like, yeah. We're just happy to be there, and for people to give us the time of day, you know. And it's like we got everything lined up. We're in a yeah. direct. We we have we're on the PlayStation Store for that date. We're on the, we have a Game Pass thing going yeah. on. We can't. We don't want to start like contacting everyone like, hey, y'all mind if we move from for like a month because yeah, it's better like, yeah, we, actually, we do mind, <laughs> and it's like yeah. And the thing is, yeah. yeah, we're kind of trying to be like just a good a good neighbor, you know. We want to yeah. be like, look, we that's what we said. That's what we're going to do we're going to be yeah. the a developer that you can put on a list somewhere as like we made very little noise and things fell into place the way we said yeah. they would and that helps us in the future because we have sort of that credibility with partners moving forward yeah even though that we definitely took you know some kind of hit when it comes to like the initial launch and the exposure we were able to get it was a very small pressure cooker of like let's just maximize but and we were blessed with a a super good response but still uh you know we, we we also like to think that it's a type of game that can be evergreen, you know? It's not like a 2023 yeah. game where the smoke effects are outdated next year. It's like, <laughs> it's, a, it's a, you know what I mean? Like, it, it yeah, could have, no, I know, exactly three years ago, yeah. and it could have had the same response like three years ago or like yeah. in three years. It's kind of like it sits in a place where, and even if we look at Messenger, the second year was better than the first one, you know? Yeah. Um, you know the like Hollow Knight the best the best game from 2018 that came out in 2017 right yeah. <laughs> So it's that that, that happens so yeah, it's totally. not so much about the initial like launch and then it's over but we we're, we're thinking about this more long term so we're kind of not you know we don't want to feel uh hung up too much about the the launch date but I I don't think we could have picked the worse one
2: basically yeah. yeah I know it's it just like honestly August this year it was the craziest release year i've seen in video games i think in my entire career it was just oh yeah just bonkers and like studios like ours and you know i also i think cal Loon just had four or five games like oh. their studios were shipping games all at the same time it was like on guard and shadow gambit and us and oh, you. Yeah. It was just weird <laughs> it was a very strange time to be making games in the indie scene terrifying yeah. as well and I'm really glad that you got that cut through and everything, and the gang pass mm-hmm. stuff, and you know, having those larger partners helps so much as well, mm-hmm. cutting through the noise. It's a big mm-hmm. thing about self-publishing, especially at the scale that you know we work at. Because now, you know, we've got two teams, but like um, you, <laughs> you've got one too, but it's a similar size to us now. You know, mm-hmm. like our teams, each team is about 25. To thirty folks, if you include the publishing yeah. side of things, yeah. and like when you're operating at our size, like you really depend on those larger partners to have that cut mm. through because it's mm. an interesting space that like folks like you and us and Mimi, me, me, me and others in mm. around this size and that what I would call that like sort of like triple I space or whatever mm. inhabit because we're sitting when we're self publishing because we can do, we have to do all of the guerrilla indie marketing tactics, right? Like yeah. every being in the next fest and, you know, hitting packs and all this sort of stuff, like having our socials and discords going so we can drive wish lists, right? Trying to get into mm-hmm. any steam festivals that we can and all that sort of stuff. But yeah. then we also, because of the scope of our games and the ROI that we need to make on the sales, like we also then need to enact some of the like triple A marketing tactics, but we don't oh, yeah. have to no spend, you know? Right, so it's right. like, so it really, like, we depend so much on that Game Pass marketing and the PlayStation Ooh. marketing. Like, it's funny that you talk about Kickstarter because the two biggest things that push our mellow to the world, like whenever we talk about it, someone mentions our mellow or they, they always discovered it in one of two ways, mostly either huh. was via our Kickstarter or via a global marketing campaign that PlayStation did for three indie games of which we were one called Vote huh. to Pop. And so, did you find like, sure. do you do you remember seeing uplift or something from the Game Pass deal? Like, was there definitely like like a momentum that that brought to your game and the awareness that the oh, Kickstarter for sure. did as well? Yeah.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, and that's the thing. Well, so the, the Kickstarter did did do that. Obviously, it raised the the awareness and and also like it, just if we look at at marketing and things like that is, since the studio has some history now, we can leverage. Mm-hmm some things right one example that's like completely from from left field from just the perspective of that one game is uh with messenger we did the the, the only way to get on, on the epic game store back in the day was you going through their catalog for like a couple of weeks right yeah so we yeah, did that and and messenger got like i don't know like something like three million like uh you know, claims. Not, yeah, okay. not saying necessarily installs and like yeah, but whatever, but like claim the gang, yeah, yeah. And as people claim it, they can opt into a newsletter. Oh shit! And so we had like I think something like I, I should ask Phil, but I think we had like three hundred thousand. That is like wild. Emails of people who opted in on their own <laughs> to hear from us, and That's so.
0: Crazy. Yeah. Also so, can
1: you imagine? Both, just
2: so people know, like for folks listening who may not be aware or across the sort of the marketing and publishing area mm-hmm. of video games, a customer email is like the most valuable thing you can have as a publisher or marketer. Mm-hmm. It's why it's on everything. You read any article on the internet and ask for your email, mm-hmm. you know, all that sort of stuff. But because then it means you can market directly to your consumers. Whereas, you know, for us, if people are on Steam, we can only use Steam's... So, the, the fact, like, having 300,000 emails is just, like, is game-changing. That's huge. And it, but it's also, like, people, starter, right?
1: it, But it's also that the, the, the box is not ticked by default. It's not, like... Yeah, no, they've
2: opted in themselves. They yeah. opted
1: in themselves. So, it's, yeah. like, it's very, like, even just from an ethical perspective, it's, like, it's actually... Yeah. 100% okay to email those. People. Yeah, yeah. It's not like we stumble. We got on a list that some people are sharing. It's not <laughs> yeah, like it was an, an automatic unless like you don't that. read yeah. it. Yeah. And so, <laughs> and so basically, yeah, we, so we, 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 now you want to use that sparingly because you don't want them to opt out if you spamming yeah. or anything, right? Yeah. But so for the Kickstarter, they, they were all, they, they were all they, we sent that email chain, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, which, when you have a big list like that, you very quickly learn that MailChimp charges a lot—not so much, but they still charge per email. So it's <laughs> yeah. like, wait, this, uh, these, these
2: pennies are adding up, man. Yeah. <laughs> but you, uh, this, you know, no matter where you walk in, like in life, there's someone taking a cut somewhere for sure. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, and so,
1: and so, yeah. So uh, notifying everyone when the Kickstarter launches kind of gives it this sort of thunderclap effect, right? Where you get yeah. you kind of have like a critical mass, a critical mass of people clicking the link and like looking yeah. at it and so that kicks you up in in the, the all the algorithms of this world and wow. so and then you can also notify them when the game comes out you know and things yeah. like that and so yeah just developing those channels of like okay now we have our discord is 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 uh is is pretty uh, is, is at a decent size uh mm-hmm. we have this this mailing list we have all the kickstarter backers we have you know all people who own the previous game that are in, in the community hub for messenger on steam and things yeah. like that and so we're kind of like just keeping that conversation going yeah. for, for people to kind of like engage, you know?
0: Yeah.
2: And you, you've not only that, but you've delivered to like great games in a similar <laughs> aesthetic. So you've got these people united around a <laughs> particular interest, you know, especially around the nostalgia that you talk about for these type of games <laughs> and you've executed <laughs> on your promise to them. You know, you were talking about the importance for partners, but even to our community, especially when we're going to Ki- Kickstarter, you know, shaking the tin can, trying to get people on board too. Like it's, Oh yeah it really counts for something right all right, all right so sure. like let's let's talk about what's next and as much as you can you know like this we're not the hot scoops podcast huh? here right yeah, so okay. i'm not trying to take you down but like you're back from you're back from holidays you're, you're working through bugs what's what's going on for sabotage right now
1: well right now we're we're uh, we I think we're done. We actually just got done this week with the, for the patch for the the physical copy of the game. We yeah. wanted the physical uh, version to be kind of like, if you don't download anything, you're still playing like you know something yeah. that's like not like you need to go online for an update. Yeah, yeah for an update. Yeah. So yeah, we fixed all, all the major ones that we that we found, um, or that were reported. I mean, yeah. Uh, so yeah, we we got done with that. Uh, we're working on, on the DLC, we're starting to see some assets, some like propositions for environments and the uh, oh, awesome coming man. on, like 2 the idea, we're seeing like, some sketches and everything. Uh, level design has started uh, blocking and everything, I'm, I'm writing the script uh, right now. And right. Uh, yeah, for the next big game, well, it's the same method as, as uh, mentioned earlier, so we have a very small team, mostly uh, coders for now looking at the tools that we're going to need, looking at the rendering tech that we're going to need, and then also working on those uh, three Cs, which, yeah. uh, you know, the character looks will look like nothing for a long time, and <laughs> the areas will also look like nothing for a long time, yeah. but we're going to sort of, like, validate the moment-to-moment satisfaction yeah. feeling of the three Cs, and then we're going to start uh, transitioning everyone over. But we are, so, I mean, I will say it's not, like, necessarily a, a, a scoop or anything. It's something that that will just, we'll just, we're yeah, just do. regardless. Yeah, yeah. Is that I think people understand that, that when we do, like, what's fun for us is the game design journey of modernizing a classic, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so it's not that we'll never tag, you know, two at the end of a of an ip that we made yeah, yeah. but what we're really excited about is like okay what's the new one what's the next
2: yeah the next
0: challenge well, yeah.
1: yeah what's the what's 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 another king that never got a proper spiritual successor perhaps you know <laughs> so we're that's still very much uh, what 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 uh, what the flame is for us. So yeah,
2: no, I I agree. I f- we feel the same way in a lot of ways, and I think it's beautiful. Even if you have IP to you know like roll them mm. through different genres or different things. Like we um you know we, I was asked recently by someone why we didn't just do Armello 2, and my answer is that mm. Solium Infernum is is essentially our, our Armello. Oh tool. sure, you know it's very huh. similar turn based hex based game. Solium Infernum, mm. the original you know game from two thousand and nine, inspired mm. Armello. But so mm. there's that connection there, but it enabled us to, yeah, have a new challenge. It's like you're saying, like well, there was this game that, you know, didn't get its spiritual success or its time in the sun really. And as much as right. Armelo was inspired by it, mm. you know, it is Armelo's spiritual successor and is that Armelo mm. 2. It doesn't stop people from back, trying to kick down our door <laughs> for Armelo 2. And I'm sure right. you're, going to, you're going to hear that for many years about Sea of Stars oh, as well. No, I, oh, yeah. I totally relate. And I think as well, just with that with that vision and that enthusiasm that you're tackling this this challenge if you're talking about this core challenge mm-hmm. like it's it's why people are obviously showing up for your games now i mentioned mm-hmm. it we're talking to my partner you know on the couch as i was saying like it's you've you've created a super nintendo game that like it's almost like someone dusted off in some store in aki harbor and no one knew it, was <laughs> it and it's right. come to life in you know the best game from 1992 that you know is You know, now in (laughs) in 2023, so it's it's an amazing uh, achievement. Oh, thank you. Well, hey, Terry, I think it's probably a a great place to leave it. um, I've really enjoyed our conversation. Again, congrats on all of your success, folks. If you haven't jumped into the Messenger or Sea of Stars, do dive in. Um, There's something really, really special there, as you can hear from our conversations. And Terry, Mm -hmm. all the best with the prototyping for the new thing, and I'm keen to tuck into the DLC when it's ready and everything as well. Awesome. Thank you. You're welcome, man. Have a great night. You too.
1: Thank you for joining us for the Game Makers Notebook. For more information on the Academy of Interactive Arts and Sciences, our podcasts, and our other initiatives,
2: please visit www.interactive.org.